cough button. Yeah. All right. Welcome to In Medias Race, No Cartridge Audio. I'm here with uh, with Alex Deegan. Um, I, I would say guest, uh, long celebrated guest of the of the listeners. I've heard a lot of people say that they they liked your episode. Um, I think maybe in an effort to keep you from quitting Twitter, but also uh, sincerely. Um, welcome back, Alex. It's good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So yeah. I, I apologize. It's not to talk about Hegel because I, <laughs> uh, between the pandemic and then uh, just some like weird back pain I've been having. I've never really like, this is like I don't. No one cares. But like it's, uh, I've never really had like chronic pain in my life. Like that's not a thing I've I've dealt with, and I I certainly am sympathetic to anyone who does. Um, and I don't think I have it now. But something is up with my muscles. Um, I think it's because I my mattress was sagging and falling and we didn't get a new mattress for a long time. So I think I just like strained my muscle by trying to stay in bed instead of rolling outward. Um, <laughs> I, and so I, I, I had the same exact thing last year. And honestly, I, I, it's, it's bizarre to be like, wow, I'm old now. Cause I fucking hurt myself laying in bed. You know? Yeah, exactly. And like, but, but it hurts a lot. And like the, the persistence of the pain where it's like, I'm just sitting in a place and I'm like, huh, I've been a lot of pain and have been all day. And it's like, this sucks. Like it, it, it does not make you want to, uh, read, um, <laughs> continental philosophy. Uh, I have to be honest. It's like the one thing ever that's made me not want to read continental philosophy. Um, and I feel like I should reread some Hegel before we talk about Geist. So I apologize. It wasn't to, to do that, but <laughs> that's, you did. Fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's uh, maybe that could be like a bonus bonus episode. Oh yeah, no, no. When it when it is, I mean, it's, it's going to be behind the paywall because people are going to want that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you get people to sign up sign up to the Patreon to hear uh, hot Hegel takes. That's right. I got I got some good ones. Um, I don't I don't agree with Hegel that the uh, that the Prussian state of eighteen forty eight is the uh, is the end of history. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. it's the only thing I don't agree with him on, but it's a big one. Um, in any case, uh, welcome back. You're, um, we were talking about quarantine, but before we talk about that more, which we will, um, right after this, uh, you have, and we'll, we'll talk about it at the end too, but you have, uh, new stuff coming out. Oh, I got a, I got a new book that's out just, uh, now it's, uh, it's a, it's a comic that I actually finished. In- now it's a comic that's new for you. Well, it kind of isn't really a comic. It, okay. Uh, it's I finished it in 2017, and I thought it would be like a uh, a thing that I would just kind of make fast and then get published, so I would have it in 2018 when my last book came out, and I could just have a smaller thing to sell because my last comic is called Soft X-ray Mind Hunters, and it's like 400 pages, and it's got no words in it, so it's kind of a tough sell for some people, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> No, <laughs> comic book fans are notoriously open about things like this, right? It's surprising the people who are and the people who aren't. But yeah, <laughs> I made this because, like, I understand marketing is marketing and making sellable things is not my strong point. Because the thing that I made that I thought would be a small thing that I would get out in time is uh, this comic called The Marchmore Library, which is. Um, it's more like an illustration book. I mean, the concept of it is it's the front covers and the back covers to a to a comic book series that doesn't exist. So okay. you look through it and you kind of see the cover to a comic and you see the back cover and it gives you like a synopsis of the comic. So it's like 
you kind of look at all of these stories and it comes together into a story, but it also like, I don't know if you ever read like Tintin when you were a kid, the French comic, the Belgian. Uh, yeah. Here and there. Yeah. yeah. Not as much as some. Um, I also am not as familiar with the, um, like the truly grim, oh. uh, like, r- like feelings of like, wow, this is the most racist thing I've ever seen. Uh, as I've, <laughs> I mean, but, it's, it's, it's early and mid 20th century, European comics about about world travel so you can imagine where it goes but uh it actually the weird thing about Tintin is it kind of has an arc because the guy who was making it was Belgian during the uh, Nazi takeover of Belgium and uh-huh. an early Tintin thing has like some anti-Jewish stuff in it his Ooh. stuff he goes to Africa and I bet you can imagine how that goes down I refuse to imagine how that goes down, uh, but thank you. <laughs> the way they depict uh, African people in the 1930s is, you know, just just racist without talk about it. But uh, the weirdest thing about Hergé, the guy who made it, is in the 60s or 70s, he made friends with um, a Chinese student who was studying in Belgium. So these world travel stories that he would make that were just based on stereotypes and stuff, he actually made a lifelong friend with a, with a Chinese guy. And so when he started making stuff about China, it was actually correct. And all of the Chinese in it was correct. Oh, weird. Like he made something about Tibet that is totally, mostly correct about Tibetan culture. So he has a strange arc, but yeah, Tintin, you know, it's continental European ideas of world travel and it's very racist, but, uh, I think the, the best, the best, uh, the best take on Tintin I know is um, it, uh, this will come as no surprise to anyone who who knows my appreciation of his work. Although uh, he is taking a break from from Twitter, so don't don't go looking for him at at no, at no chorus to to see where he is. But uh, Sean McTiernan of um, All Units Podcast and uh, of the wonderful uh, Kiss Your Ass Goodbye, um, he has an episode of Kiss Your Ass Goodbye on um, oh which one is that? It's it's on. Uh, Rocky Jordan, Rocky Jordan, a classic sort of like, uh, kind of like swashbuckling detective-y sort of story, uh, that existed in the forties, um, and existed in Egypt and was fairly accurate about Cairo in some ways and also not in other ways. And he talks about that and Tintin and it's just really good. It's, it's excellent. It's like, if you're, if you're struggling with the genre stuff as I often do, um, it's worth listening to, but uh, yeah, no, no, no. I know what you mean. I know what you mean by bringing up Tintin and that like the, it is that sort of like I'm bringing up Tintin is because when I was a kid on the back of every Tintin, comic, right. there was a, a gallery that would show you the covers of every possible Tintin book. And, you know, there was probably like 30 something. But when I was a kid, I only had like one or two of them. And I would just spend so much time just imagining like what, <laughs> what they could be. So I wanted to make a book that just kind of had that feeling like you're reading sort of something where you kind of fill in so many of the blanks because it's just basically giving you prompts of a whole overarching storyline and also all these crazy characters. But so that was going to be the project, but it took so long to come out that for the last three years, I've actually been making one of those comics as a real thing. So so now I got, now I got 400 pages of, uh, of one of those comics. So. Now it's confusing. Yeah, now it's uh, confusing. But so so that's out. That's from uh, Secret Acres in California. Cool. And yeah, that's the new book. You should someone should go buy that. Yeah, um, you can go buy that. The worst thing is, uh, you know, I, 
keep this on the hush, but I got suspended from Twitter while I was promoting that. That's ah, kind of terrible. <laughs> the start of promoting that. I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to. You're allowed to tell people that you got suspended from Twitter. You know, you don't. That doesn't actually get you resuspended. It got me resuspended for the second time. I made a new account, though. Ah, uh, see, but you made a new. Yeah, see, that's the thing you shouldn't have admitted to. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not that you have a new account now that anyone could find. Um, uh, but yeah, you're not allowed to have a new account, but you are allowed to tell people you got suspended. That is acceptable. Oh, okay. The, the, the fact of the matter is I don't even know why I got suspended. <laughs> I was, I was, you were just too real. I was being pretty spicy with a lot of people all at the same time, but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> the one you least suspect. <laughs> like I was very rude to Ted Cruz and Ilya Kazan's granddaughter on the same day. I bet it was Ilya Kazan's granddaughter. Damn. Okay. I bet I, I also, bet that's who it was. I had a tweet that blew up that was basically me saying that people who work at McDonald's are braver than cops and work. Oh yeah. And Actually, I, I I retracted. It was someone saying that you were like doing hate speech against cops. I, I think that's what it was because that somehow got into a place of Twitter where there were just like random people, third handedly kind of threatening to kill me. Yeah, they do that. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, there was. That, I had a big tweet one time where someone just posted uh, my, like, it wasn't my most recent address, but it was an address, like, I would say two or three past. And I was like, huh, cool. That guy knows where I used to live. <laughs> that's that's really fun. Um, well, it's also weird to be get. So then the way they finally suspended me is someone found a tweet from, like, I don't know, nine months ago where I told someone to kill themselves, which was just some right-wing troll was hassling me, so I told them to kill themselves. Right, sure. So that was the thing against hate speech and threatened threats of violence, which was weird because I was actively being threatened by strangers when that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all in the context. It's all based on what they can find and how they can decontextualize it. Um, it's funny because at, for a split second I was like, oh, cool, now I'm free of Twitter, fuck this. Yeah, and then I was like, I'm in the middle of promoting a fucking book, and it, it's impossible to link to things correctly on Instagram. Like, you just did you you literally did your famous "I quit Twitter forever" bit, but in real life. But it wasn't on my own terms. I also it also might have been Japanese right wingers who I was picking a fight with. Did you did you like did you get after Yukio Mishima? No, uh, I don't even know if you want me to open this can of worms, but uh, there's a lot of. I follow a lot of Japanese comics artists on the internet. I follow my friends who are Japanese comics artists, and it's just weird that there's been a light sort of right-wing promotion of stuff. Like, uh, mm -hmm. just, just casual people who outright don't talk politics are talking American politics, and it's weird to be a person who speaks both languages and just have to be like, am I really going to get in it with these people? And I kept seeing the same tweet that had, like, something like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of retweets. There was a picture of the American electoral map, like the uh -huh. blue state thing, with a thing that was just like someone just asking a question. And they're like, all of the riots, are they happening in the blue areas? <laughs> I kept seeing that. So I put up a map of where all the riots are happening. And I said, no, they're happening in every state. And so that... People didn't like that? No. Well, then what happened was... Somebody who is a guy from Hokkaido with a uh, with with MAGA in his fucking <laughs> bio got on and said, 
Oh, well, they're happening in those states where there's a lot of immigrants, though. Those are immigrant centers, and that's why there's, why there's rioting. And I was like, I was like, I don't go to Hokkaido and tell you what's going on in fucking Hokkaido. So basically, fuck off. Well, I love that he, I love that it's happening in every state, and he's like, well, those are immigrant centers, like immigrant centers in all fifty states. Yes. Like, so, yeah, sure. Especially in like the middle of Arizona, and well, if they're immigrant centers in the middle of Arizona, it's because they've kidnapped immigrants and brought them there. But uh, anyway, it was just funny because you know how I don't see it as much anymore. But in 2016, you'd be talking to like actual nazis and you'd call them a nazi and they'd be like uh i'm actually not a nazi i'm i'm a uh a, a nationalist supremacist and he'd be like i don't give a fuck so I, I i told this dude from hokkaido i called him basically the japanese word for like like right-wing nerd on the internet like net uya like uh whatever and he got super offended and then a bunch of people were yelling at me so a week i muted that thread and i was like did the japanese Nazis do me. <laughs> you, I, you, you, you made some sort of Nazi angry at you, and and that was your fatal flaw. Yeah, either that or Elia Kazan's granddaughter. It's hard to tell for calling her dad a snitch or her granddad a snitch. She literally put out a thing that was like, "Do you guys have any information about actors acting badly on set with alcohol and drugs?" And I was like, you know, so everybody was just kind of teasing her, being like. What are you gonna do? Gonna talk to a house on un-American activities about it? Like, and and she got real mad about that. I know, because then she said, like, listen, my my grandfather uh, did what he did because of uh, you. You weren't there. You would do the same. The classic Huac defense. Yeah. So 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 some version of that got me. Uh, got me. Like not just suspended from Twitter, but fully just kicked off. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Made another account. Because I have a book to promote, and that got banned too. Got banned too, and so I waited like a week and a half, and was just like, eh, and now it seems okay. But uh. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, well, I'm glad you're here to promote it. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about, uh, we'll talk about uh, other stuff too. But uh, um, uh, we were talking about. Um, uh, quarantine and how it has uh, ruined our brains. Um, yeah. Our already our already bad uh, brains. Um, our, our our brains already banned in DC. I like <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah, that's pretty good. That almost seems like also like an Agamben kind of like our already constraint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. But yeah, I, what I was saying to the I'll say it to the listener before we just jumped in and started recording is like. I have a brain that is already yo-yoing in and out of kind of depression all the time. But this kind of, this quarantine situation, it's super moment to moment. I, you know, I went to a a Black Lives Matter march around here and that really made me helpful, hopeful about the future in general. But then, you know, you just look at the news and, you know, the fact that the discourse is about literally nothing that means anything 24 hours a day is enough to and also while you know hundreds of thousands of people are dying it's just uh you drive you crazy yeah it really can um it's not listen like i don't i'm i'm no i'm i'm no like uh expert at anything but i don't think you should be online if you don't have to be right now i think you should uh you know see 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 to your health and not be on the internet because it is just a Skinner box in reverse. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't even know if in reverse. I mean, <laughs> no, it is. It it makes you feel bad. A Skinner box ostensibly makes you feel good. Good to keep you keep doing it. Mechanism is exactly. Oh uh, yes, no, 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 for sure. Yeah, the mechanism is identical. Um, but the uh, the effect of the mechanism is to just make you feel uh, quite bad. Yeah, all the time. It's also funny because like. Other people have said this already, but the world was trending in the direction of everybody being extremely online already without the quarantine. And now everybody is so extremely online that it just feels like a new kind of bizarro acceleration happening. It it was funny to realize that, like, it was funny to realize that, like, when all of a sudden the internet was, like, worse. And I was like, why is the internet worse? I was like, oh, now everyone is me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) every. Right, everyone's just online all the time. Of course, the internet's worse because um, no one can ever log on uh, at, without, like, at a downtime because every time is uptime now. Yeah, it's funny. I, the the way I've gotten around it is just having different group chats with different people, and uh, not having to look at a refreshing feed is a uh, sort of like a mental stabilizer. Mm, yeah. It, when I was, uh, you know, when I was kicked off of Twitter for a second I felt really refreshed by it. <laughs> like it was just because like I'm someone who am worried about you know connecting feelings of self-worth or even feelings of my interactions with people only making sense and being mediated by some kind of structure like that but like getting back on Twitter and like putting up a tweet and not getting any response because you have like a 25th of the amount of people who used to see your stuff anymore. Like I actually found myself feeling sad about that and then being like angry that I felt sad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or just like going to people I used to follow and being like, Hey, you want to follow back? And they didn't know it was me and I didn't want to say it was me. So there was dead silence just being like, Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I, you didn't ask me to follow back. I just noticed that you were responding to me and I was like, yeah, AD, AD, is that right? Yeah, I got a... I know who this is. I got a message from you that was like, you're Deegan, right? And I was like, yep. <laughs> I am Deegan. But yeah, yeah. It's just funny because, you know, like, I don't know. I I thought it was a generational thing for a while that I knew artists who were like five to ten years younger than me who would be like, oh, yeah, my my stuff gets likes or it doesn't get likes and it makes me think about my stuff. And I would always argue with them being like, yeah, but, like, the stuff that gets likes is literally, like, you know, especially on Instagram, it's, like, Bart Simpson holding up a Supreme t-shirt and being, like, I love this brand. Like, that will get 100 billion likes. It doesn't, isn't anything you should actually tie your work to. But then, like, you know, two weeks ago, I, like, just put up a, a, a poster for this thing I'm working on, and, like, two people looked at it, and I was, like, oh, man. Like, you know, I found myself in that very passionate that I was trying to talk people out of. I just, I don't want to do this anymore, but actually. (laughs) Well, also the funny thing though, about everybody being so online is also, there are still people who are not. Right. To have these conversations with my mom where I had to explain to my mom what's going on with the woman who wrote Harry Potter. 
Why? Why? Why were you de- deputized to do this? That's just not fair. Because she wanted to know what this open letter thing was about. I really don't want to talk about this, but it was just funny that I, I had to explain to my mom what a turf is, and you know, my mom is a feminist of the '60s and '70s, and she was just like gobsmacked. She was like, "Why? Why are women basing their feminism on hating trans people?" And I was like. Yeah, you got me, man. <laughs> it's it's cuz yeah, it's cuz they uh, did you did you tell her that it was because uh people have this misconception that if they uh that actually what they're doing is letting men in through the back door, like that that men are are like are 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 somehow like uh doing a doing an Elon Musk and like uh, like messing with the market of gender, but it, it truly, truly just a nightmare logic. Like, let me be clear: this is not happening, and turfs are bad. But a, a gender market disruption is what they're. Yeah, that, I think that's basically what they think is happening. Where like it's like, um, no, so, someone in a boardroom was just like, "Hey, wait a minute! If I became a woman, I'd be a woman," and like it's just like absolute nightmare way of thinking about anything. But that's that's just the perfect sort of like just basic top down version of everything. And that's why there's so many stupid movies in like the 1980s that were like, if I put on blackface and went to college, everything would be easier for, for me because, you know, black people are just white people wearing blackface kind of logic where you're like, eh, all right. But yeah, because I was talking to my mom, we ended up talking about, you know, because she was a feminist in the 60s and 70s living in New York, working in new york public schools like she was relating it to like sort of like the history of feminism where like a lot i you know i'm a dude talking about this so i don't want to talk out of school but to hear how dare you <laughs> to hear her say it she was always very wary about a sort of a sort of vein running through feminism from way before her time going back to like margaret sanger and whatnot that mm-hmm. to elevate women at all you had to elevate white women and put everybody else down uh you even dabble in like eugenics and shit like that going through like, suffrage mu- movement where so much of the empowerment of suffragettes you know like a hundred years ago a lot of them were basing it on you know but not but not those, not those dark-skinned whites who we don't consider whites, like cats mm-hmm. and stuff. You know right. I mean? Yeah. So that's so. What I was explaining to her, what the turfs are all about. That was she was saying, like, oh well, you know, that's always a thing that to uplift yourself. An easiest way is to choose an already totally, you know, someone, someone, someone who who is like is oppressed on more axes than you. Yeah, or an easy target, basically. Yep. So, yeah. so when when I started explaining to her what the turfs were, she was like, "Oh, yeah, that's actually not new. It's just the target is new." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, it, that's actually very helpful because, of course, like even the even the strategy, right? Where it's like, "Oh, um, I found this one statistic of like a bathroom incident," which is like the whole thing of like. Oh, like, you know, Fanny, uh, Fanny, like wisdom has reported that, uh, such and such has, has like happened on her farm, which is like the, the truth of the matter. Like that, that's just like, it's, it's just anecdotal evidence for fever dreams and, and fear of inadequacy and just making, you know, a totally vulnerable group feel worse. So not good and bad. And I, I gotta tell you, can't believe you had to explain that to your mom. That sucks. (laughs) Well, it's just funny because I feel like if you've been on the internet, for you know at least the last like four or five years 
turfs are around. They're probably hassling your friends, and also they have a lot of very rich and powerful people <laughs> espousing their shit. Yep. It's just I had that weird moment of talking to someone who's not entirely online, being like, what is J.K. Rowling all about right now? Why are people mad? And being like, uh, uh well, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I have to tell you something about Hogwarts, lady. Uh, I don't... <laughs> I think she and my dad listened to the audiobooks of like J.K. Rowling's Mystery. Oh, where she's like Robert Galbraith or whatever. And I think she was a big fan of those, maybe even more than Harry Potter. So, but I don't. I like, I remember when I when I very much enjoyed Harry Potter. Still, um, uh, I I I have to tell you, like, I'm not one of those people who will tell you that at all times I understood it was garbage. I I really liked it for a while. Um, I don't even know if I'd say it's garbage as children's literature or whatever. Obviously, there's like, I, I think the movies, if you ever watch the movies and see the goblins and how they're depicted, you have to <laughs> instantly pull your children aside and say, like, listen, you, there's something you have to know about this. And other things. I mean, the race issues in it are uh, garbage. Um, but, it, you know, like, I think I, I enjoyed it and I wanted to read those mysteries. But then I think, like, directly afterwards, she was just like, hey, uh, I agree with my good friend Glinner about this. Oh, um, I was like, oh, oh, OK, I'm just going to not do that. Like, I'm going to read another book that I should read instead. It's funny. I actually I, I missed the Harry Potter phenomenon while it was happening. Not not because I was trying to, but just because, like. I just somehow missed it. And then I think my mom, my dad, and my sister-in-law all got into it slightly later. Mm. So I think I saw the move, the first movie in theaters with my sister-in-law. But other than that, I, I kind of, now I know it through like cultural osmosis. But uh, sure. I, I literally missed the whole thing. So to all of the cultural conversation around it, I get. But also, like, it's one of those things where I understand that the majority of people who are really angry at it are probably also really angry at the people who use it as sort of like a guide stick through the world. <laughs> so, like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the... I'm not even talking about J.K. Rowling. I'm talking... Oh, you're talking about all, like, the... Yeah, no, of course. Like, all the... Harry Potter itself. Like, yeah, like, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that, like, um, what Nancy Pelosi is, like... Professor McGonagall and yeah. Joe Kennedy is Harry or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I yeah. did, I once went on a date. Oh, I was seeing this girl for a little while who, who like maybe like four or five years ago. Ooh, dish. Well, this is going to be a negative story, but uh, <laughs> friends were Harry Potter people. And I was at a bar and they were like, oh, someone just casually was like, what's your Harry Potter house? And I was like, I, I never read it. I, I can't say like, but you tell me. And they were talking about me, about which Harry Potter house I'd be in. And the two they came up with were the one that's like the evil people house. No, this, yeah, 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 yeah. Or or the one that's all sweet, nice people who are all dorks. And I was so, like, I was like, well, I can't be either of those. And also, there's one house where they're all nice heroes. Like, wouldn't everyone want to be from that? I love that. Like, the the, the I always like when people asked me that, I would always pick the the very nice but extremely good at academics house because I was like, well, that's not the hero house. That's not me. I'm very good at academics. And like, without realizing, 
they just made four houses where even the other house by like book three, you're like, ah, but they have ambition. Like, it's just like four houses where you're like, I'm proud to be part of this house. There's no dud house. They're all like, it's like, oh, great. So, so I understood that either I was like the bad snake house or like the good, but mainly inoffensive nerd house. And yeah. I mean, the hero house. And I was like, Oh, well, you're, you're not a protagonist. You're at most a B character. It's very cool. You're a villain, but I simply not a main villain. Like, yeah, I, well, I don't think the main villains are still in school. Oh, <laughs> um, primarily anyway. Um, no, I, I actually I, I missed most of the beginning of Harry Potter. I wasn't reading it. And then I, I dated this girl in high school who um, uh, actually uh, the last time I saw her, uh, she seemed to be doing really well, which is uh, always nice. Um, she was at the, uh, the live show I did with Chapo ages ago. Um, and she just went cause, uh, she and another friend of mine didn't even know I had a podcast and then heard that I was going to be <laughs> having a show with Chapo. They're like, I wonder if that's the Trevor Strunk I know. Uh, <laughs> Trevor Strunk's could there, uh, you know, not many. Uh, so it was a good bet anyway. Um, but yeah, no, uh, shouts, shouts, shouts to Carol and Ian. Um, but yeah, Carol, Carol was really into, uh, Harry Potter and, um, you know, I I liked her a lot, so I also tried to get into Harry Potter, and I ended up really liking it. But, like, it is one of those things that I think – trying to come up with a good example. I mean, comics are a great example for this. Like, um, oh, the one example I thought of is, is a bad example because it's it's still one of my favorite comics would have been uh, Bone. Um, but Bone is, is kind of interesting this way because, like – I feel like the first time I read Bone, I don't know if you you like Jeff Smith's Bone or not. I love I love Bone. I, yeah. You know, it's funny because I just recently, not recently, maybe a year ago, as a present, I can like maybe Christmas, someone got me the the big collection of it. Oh, I love the big collection, the huge like block. I'm trying to read it in bed, but I literally have been like braining myself with it, falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's sweet. It, I mean, it's it's so satisfying to have and so hard to read. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's like, so Bone, when I first read Bone, I had bought the first like four or five collections on like either on Amazon or through like Scholastic. I don't know how I got it, but I I got all four of them and I was like, I was like, oh, like I, you know, I love this. I want to see what's happening next. I'm so into this. I got to see, I got to see the next thing. And I just like breezed through them. And then I think Bone was still going on at that point. So like, especially with the last few uh, stories like I just read them as they came out um, and it was like it was one of those moments where it's like yeah I I missed kind of what the story was doing because I got into it like someone who was obsessed with the plot and just wanted like the reveals and stuff right Yeah, that's like a totally natural thing to do I think that's like how a lot of people like stories but the natural process of also reading something that's currently coming out or you know yeah, or, yeah. yeah. but like unlike Bone you can't go back to Harry Potter and be like, ho, ho, like, let's dig into what's happening that's deeper here. It's always, ho, ho, I remember when that was revealed. <laughs> or like, I forgot about that. Like, it's it's basically just a process of remembering yourself reading in suspense. So, like, I mean, more than just being offensive, it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's like going back and reading an old arc of Spider-Man and being like, yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I, I, I realize who the villain is. It's like, fine. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to go in a totally different direction because an interesting thing to me, at least, about Bone is at the beginning, it's so 
you know, it's this very happy-go-lucky sort of like mm. obviously influenced by the old comic Pogo and stuff. Oh, yeah. Just it turns into like high fantasy and very dramatic. And it's like that happens. That That's a thing that happens with everything that's a series usually because, you know, eventually something has to be about something unless it's a sitcom in which everything's just resetting after every uh yep, yep. bone's one of the bone and uh and i would say um i'll say both both, both brothers um hernandez's uh work on love and rockets are some of the only plotted stuff that feels intentional to me that way yeah, yeah. where it's like oh you guys planned this from the beginning like i don't reading bone it's like okay yeah like I mean, the dragon shows up early all the all the all the points are put in and it's like okay like this whole arc into extremely like high fantasy is not just put upon it's not just like oh i for- i ran out of ideas um and the same with like the really serious or like magical realist stuff in in love and rockets it's like yeah no this this stuff was all there to begin with yeah um that's my actually my favorite part of love and rockets but i don't know that the really early love and rockets where they they were world doesn't have laws yet like maggie the mechanic or and that, that kind of stuff yeah. yeah this is probably an unpopular opinion but that's some of my favorite stuff because you literally have no idea what the fuck the next story is going to be about and it's a really it's a really cool part i think i think it's also a part that like if you are into as i was when i picked up locus like if you're into jaime's later work right um, and I really only can do this with Jaime. I haven't read a lot of Beto's early work, um, but I'm sure it works the exact same way. But like Jaime's later work is is it's not predictable, but like it has a specific art style. In any case, like you you know kind of what you're getting in the art. Yeah. Um, Maggie the mechanic is like out there. Well, they could just literally be like, well, here's a whole sci-fi story. Okay, actually, that ended, and now it's just kind of, you know, it's about a relationship. And you're like, okay, now it's both. And you're like, that's always... <laughs> yeah, I was, you know what I was just thinking about the other day? I was such a weirdo when I was like 13 or 14 that I, I was reading Love and Rockets, and I didn't even know... Because, you know, there are bands in that that are the made-up bands that are... Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that Black Flag was a real band. <laughs> I was I was at a show or at a party or something when I was like 14 or 15, and there was a really cute girl wearing a Black Flag t-shirt, and I was like, oh, Black Flag. And she was like, yeah, you like Black Flag? And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I love – and I just started talking about Love and Rockets. She was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, Black Flag, Love and Rockets. She was – then I there's also a band called called Love and Rockets, yeah, which I also did not know. And she was like, "No, those are two different things. They're not connected." So we had this like who's on first conversation with me being like an awkward, on fourteen or fifteen year old. Oh, it's just the worst. The worst when it's a cute girl. Yeah, well, that, that's why. And then later, I was literally like, "Oh, Black Flag is a real band." <laughs> so I just so I just had that nerd thing of like something I know. There's someone who knows something I know. Mm-hmm. And over and just started unloading about like a comic book, and she had no idea what the fuck I was talking about. I still do stuff like that, like or I, I did for a long time. I think like in grad school, uh, I guess it was a while ago. It was when I was at my U, but like I was at a party and some guy had a uh, uh, a shirt for the band Fucked Up. Yeah. And, who I like. I like Fucked Up a lot. And, like, I was like, oh, wow, cool, man. Like, like I, uh, Fucked Up's great. great. And the, uh, the guy was like, huh, you really think that? Okay, whatever, dude. And I was like, Wait, no, I, I really do think that. <laughs> like, And I, I – I, I, my only explanation is that maybe, like, people kept commenting on his shirt because, like, 
it says fucked up. Um, or maybe I just said cool shirt. I don't know. It happened to me when I was at a diner and someone was wearing a Balzac shirt. And I was like, oh, sweet. I love that band. And they were like, do you? <laughs> it's like, yeah. But I think like I think that's like a common response of like when people are just wearing a shirt and you get too enthusiastic. Like, oh, I can we share our passion about this thing? Like, I think people just are then like, hey, this is weird to me. That's a conversation that could also go either way because there are so many things that I'm not the biggest fan of that I stumble into. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm talking about this. <laughs> this will be a uh, real niche. But uh, I once was at a party when I was in Tokyo and I saw a guy with a band shirt of the band Anal Cunt, if you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good old AC. I was I was like, I was like, you know, I had never heard of anyone knowing anal cunt in Japan, let alone mostly in America. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, and then he just wanted to talk about that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I went to high school in a town in Connecticut where like one of those guys families is from. And uh, so I saw him a lot when I was a teen. And then this guy was like following me through a party for like three hours to try to get more info on it. <laughs> I was just like, that's literally nothing I really want to talk about. I was just more shocked to see that. Alex, 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 do they really hate 311? Do they think they really suck? <laughs> like, yes, I don't know. <laughs> Are they really happy when people's grandparents die? It's like, no. <laughs> Is that the truth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I went th- kind of like cursing myself, like, I should have never said anything. Yeah. I feel like every town in the Northeast American states uh some band that people became obsessed with uh that was sort of like vaguely shock jockey um is what they came uh, came from there like my my home where i grew up especially uh, like at least when i was before i moved a little further south um was where the bloodhound gang was from oh god so like, <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like I feel like every town has that where they're just like, oh, me? Yeah, no, no. Like uh, Harvey Danger was here. <laughs> like, oh, oh uh, yeah, I uh, all the guys who uh, who are in leftover crack who died are here. Like, it's like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's funny because also like I think the Bloodhound Gang was more famous in Europe before they were famous here. If that <laughs> That's really funny. They used to be called the Wolf Pack. And I remember like. I remember people talking about Wolfpack shows and I was just, I didn't like care about it or anything. And then, uh, I mean, it was also that, that, that area of uh, Pennsylvania is weird too, because that's also where like a bunch of the, um, the jackass guys are from like specifically the Bam Margera, Ryan, whatever, um, who died in the, by drunk driving, um, group. Uh, not Johnny Knoxville, but everyone else. Yeah. People people also used to tell me I, I looked like him and I would have to shave my beard when I would get that. When you looked like Ryan Dunn. Ryan. That's who it is. <laughs> you didn't want to look like Ryan. I thought he was like the funniest when I when I would still watch like all their stuff. Um, I still think Jackass is good. I probably would not like um, Viva La Bam or whatever anymore. But <laughs> what a dark time that was that you just turn on TV and it would just be like a rich guy in Pennsylvania just like spraying his parents with like gasoline and just be like, Oh yeah. Cool. cool. <laughs> this is neat. <laughs> <laughs> now we, now we'd have detached irony about it. Like, yeah. like good people. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know what's cool on TV anymore. I don't know if anyone even watches TV. Isn't uh 90 day fiance. 
That's good. I was going to go in the direction of Quibi. What oh, Quib- no one watches Quibi, though. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's literally like a bunch of venture capitalists are like, I, I bet I can uh, I bet I could make this work. And uh, and they can't. Well, the weirdest thing about it is they seemed to have the uh, I mean, I'm not going to out them and name them. But a, a friend of mine was working on a show that was on is is on or will be on Quibi. And. It seems you could just say your friend Sam Raimi. Yeah, Um, (laughs) my friend is Junji Ito. (laughs) Did you see that they announced like they were like, yeah, this Tomie, the comic is going to be a quippy show. And and people were actually like, well, I'm crossing my fingers. It might be good. I was like, it will not be good. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's going to be terrible. Even if it was like a multi-million dollar HBO, you know, prestige show, I think they would fuck it up. But. Still, like, yeah, would be like that's like being like, man, they're making an app of my favorite. It's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) There was that story going. Oh, yeah, actually, to finish your story, you don't want to out them, but oh, well, so one of my friends was saying that they're, you know, we all know this, but but their main strategy with Quibi was to get big name people who seem to have Twitter followers and a big, uh, you know sort of profile as a star and give them, you know, millions upon millions of dollars and then. The millions of dollars just went to the star, not to the production of the show in any way, right? Yeah, sure. And so my friend who, in a capacity that will remain without note, is... Director of The Girl with the Golden Arm, yes, go on. (laughs) Well, he was telling me that there's this show that is about the girlfriend of Rick and Morty and Community's Dan Harmon real life Dan Harmon, real life, his girlfriend, about how Dan Harmon famously has a sex doll and the show is about this woman coming to terms with and making friends with the sex doll. The way that it's made is it's almost like acting like it's a topical story that everybody famously knows. Dan Harmon knows his girlfriend, knows that Dan Harmon has a sex doll, which are like three things that are like... I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know Dan Harmon had a girlfriend. I didn't know Dan Harmon had a sex doll. And I didn't know she knew that that. So so, so my friend was saying this is like a rip from the headline story that's from headlines that 20 people in L.A. know. <laughs> and they're selling it like, like you know, anyone is going to immediately be like, oh, hot damn. They made a movie about Dan Harmon's sex doll? Like, <laughs> you know? So that's already so weird and seems so insular that probably somebody like at Quibi was like, Hey, this guy's got a lot of fans on the internet. So yeah, run with it. And it's just kind of like to know someone who worked on it. They were just kind of like, it's, it's, it's almost like an inside joke between a group of friends who you don't know. That's like, so weird. It reminds, it reminds me a little bit like, so like it, it sort of like it indicates like how this could happen where like, I don't know if you read the obviously like Gal Gadot has has her problems and uh, and 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 no cartridge is uh, in, in favor of the Palestinian state. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> let's be clear. Uh, but um, I guess Gal Gadot went to go talk to the Quibi people because they were, you know, of course, interested in having her do a show based on their, you know, M.O. Um, but they were like. They're like, yeah, like uh, pitch us, and she was like, well, look, I'm, I'm just like, I really am passionate about women having better, like, you know, better opportunities to create and to 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 host and like star in things that are different for them. Um, 
And the guy was like, yeah, I totally, like, I think it was one of, like, the the main two people at Quibi was like, yeah, I totally agree. Um, maybe you could, like, teach an exercise show. Oh, yeah, I saw that, like, Jane Fonda, like. Very, yeah. very funny to be like, yeah, I totally agree. Women need more representation. Maybe you could do, like, jazzercise or a cooking show. <laughs> very, very cool. Oof. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's just weird. It's just weird to have. Well, we don't have to say that Quibi. It's just funny the idea that they we already are. It's it just seemed like it was like a trick trickle down economics thing. They're like, I don't know. What if we just give rich people eighty five million dollars and then we have shows? And it's like, huh? That's not how anything. Okay. <laughs> it seemed like it seemed like they were trying to do the Uber thing of like, look, we'll just lose money for a long time and then eventually we'll be the only game in town in like a world where there is. Literally, like thousands of games in town at this point. Like, yeah. Streaming is so crowded. It's like, what? What did you think would happen here? Uber and Airbnb and all that only make money once they've totally subverted labor and existing laws that protect people and destroyed them. I don't yeah. know how Quibi would do that unless they became so popular that all unions in the entertainment industry were destroyed by. Quibi? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless they have the ghost of Ronald Reagan working for them, I don't see it happening. But it's also weird because... Ilya Kazan's granddaughter, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have any smoke with that woman. I had no I had no deep hatred or even... I was just light teasing about her basically doing what her grandfather did. And then... Uh... I think that means you have beef with her. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't think you could lightly tease about, like... Got me... If she got me suspended, maybe. But, yeah, no, I don't want to... I don't want to mess with, uh, you know, whatever. But what I was going to say is it's just weird that Quibi even as a concept exists because I know I'm in the extreme minority by saying this, but I don't understand Twitch streaming. I don't understand YouTube videos that are, like, five hours long. But mm-hmm. people... Young people are watching very, very, very long things on their phones, on computers. Yeah, I mean, the, the it's idea that they need fifteen-minute quick bites is, seems so wrong. Oh yeah, no, I mean, it's it's clearly made by people who are out of touch. Because, like, honestly, you know, the thing about Twitch and the thing about like five-hour YouTube videos and stuff is that the um, the whole audience for it is just people who are like doing nothing for a while where they're just like, yeah, yeah. Like, um, just hanging out. Like I got home. Um, like I, I guess I have homework to do or whatever. Or like my friends, I'm going to hang out with them or like, I'm going to just chill or whatever. Like, like we did in high school. I mean, it's not any different that way, but like the, it's funny because like, I don't know. I, I'm saying this is, this is a, a minority view because everybody I know is getting into Twitch streams and doing their own and stuff like that. But I, I I guess I don't understand it on a fundamental level of just like I don't know I, I feel like I might have talked to you about this before. This is not Twitch streaming, but like when when GamerGate was going on and there were people who were just like harassing my friends and whatnot, but they they weren't honest that they were just like you know Nazis or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Yet they were acting as if they were literally arguing about ethics. In reporting, or whatever. they love arguing about ethics and games journalism, Deegan. Don't I don't think they, don't get in their way. <laughs> I think they'll just come into your mentions to call you a slur now. But at that point, they hadn't gotten, they hadn't really felt their power yet. They hadn't, they hadn't, they hadn't, uh, they hadn't narrowed down their niche yet. Yeah. Well, so you'd be like, you know, they'd be 
kind of I was thinking like what if this is just some like 12 year old kid who literally is is stuck in this milieu of toxic gamer shit maybe I can argue him out of it which is naive of me to even say it but I'd be like literally being like yo read about Citizens United read about blah 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 you want to find out about like actual control of the media by powerful interests like blah 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 but the funniest thing was someone would be like well you say that but check out this video and they'd send you like a youtube link to a video that was just a single image and somebody talking about gamergate for like four hours (laughs) yeah and i think like people like those because they just fill time like you don't have to pay attention to the whole thing you don't have to pay attention to it at all really just like you check in three or four times in those four hours. It's like, you know, you just put on the same CD and listen to it over and over and over again for like six hours. And, you know, you don't get sick of it because you haven't been listening very carefully the whole time. Yeah, but I don't know. In the case of like the Gamergate people who are sending... Well, that could be different, yes. (laughs) Between those people and between them and specifically, if you there was a time that if you ever made fun of Jordan Peterson, a random person would show up and be like, you say that, but listen to this, and they'd send you like a three-hour... Have you read his books or watched this video about his books? And be like, I'm sorry, sorry, friend, I'm I'm not going to watch that. (laughs) I just think he's... I think it's funny to make fun of him. (laughs) Well, also, I have read enough about him i've read enough of his work to know that he sucks and is bullshit but like i don't even we don't even need to go into it but it's right sure it was i just had this image of like shit man are we in such like an atomized society now that this is kind of not only social interaction but but affirmation that people are getting to have a worldview said to them over a very long you know hours and hours which, you know, it's ironic because you and I are talking on a podcast right now. Yeah. But, like, there, there's something different about the Gamergate thing or the Jordan Peterson because it seemed to be, like, I'm speaking directly to you, the listener. You know this to be true. It felt very, uh... I think, honestly, though, like, I think, honestly, it's, like, like I think it is a lot like a podcast. Like, I think the whole thing is basically, like, yeah, look, like, um... <laughs> Are you listening? That's fine. I'm going to say the same thing, you know, three or four times because it's a four hour video. Like you're going to say the same thing more than three or four times. Um, And it's like one of those things where you just like keep it on and you watch 10 minutes or you don't or you leave it on while you're making dinner or like it's just on in the background while you do homework or whatever. Like it literally is just a soundtrack that people just ingest and like in, in the same way that like I listen to like Jello Biafra spoken word records. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying, Jello, but I sure like the way you're saying it. Uh, God, I haven't, I haven't listened to those since I was a kid. I wonder, do they hold up? I, I can't imagine they do. The main, the main thing I remember about them is when he would constantly call, uh, uh, not that he was wrong, but he would constantly call George Bush and uh, Al Gore uh, King George the Second and uh, Prince Albert. Like God. very, very, very cool Groucho Marx style humor coming from the voice of the children. I was so freaked out the first time I heard Jello Biafra's speaking voice because it's not as weird as his singing voice, but it's weird in a whole different way. Yeah, it sounds a lot like his singing voice, just like at a at a speaking tone. Yeah, we just I just assumed that he was putting on a voice while. He yeah, was. no, you would like <laughs> look like absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I think the first time I heard Jello Biafra speak was on the, um, uh, was on the Sepultura, uh, track, uh, Biotech is Godzilla. 
uh, where no, I don't know where. Oh uh, well, it's wow. good track, but uh, <laughs> Simple Tour rocks. But the um, uh, I realized that like the fact that I didn't listen to like more Simple Tour was one hundred percent based on me kind of being like I don't know self self fulfillingly racist about the music I liked. Like, I was like. <laughs> I don't like these South American hardcore. And like when I listened to it again, I was like, well, that was stupid. I listened to a lot worse stuff than this. Um, but anyway, like uh, in, in, but in biotech is Godzilla. He goes uh, at the beginning of the song, like as they're playing, like the opening riff, he just goes biotech is Godzilla. Rawr. <laughs> like that's, it, it's literally like the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh, all right. God, it's funny. Cause when I was a kid, I, you know, when you don't understand the world of adults, you just assume things. You just assume. Oh yes. <laughs> anecdotal. Well, in fact, you have that your whole life. But when you're a kid, it's more just like, oh yeah, you like just take it as a given. I assumed that. Uh, I assumed that both Fred Snyder from Fifty mm-hmm. Twos and and Jello, Jello Biafra were like referencing a style that they were both like. <laughs> and then when I grew up, I was like, no, they just basically sound alike like that's that's I I, I feel like it's it's tough to explain to people who didn't grow up in like the blighted time we grew up in in that like like when I think about when I think about like what I thought like the the assumptions that I had like I I very much assumed that Jello Biafra was gay I was like no 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 this guy must be flamboyantly gay and it's like I know his voice just sounds like that you stupid kid (laughs) I think I also knew that Fred Schneider was gay, so I was just like, oh, yeah, so Jello Biafra is also a gay guy who sings like that. You know, and it was just like – it was just a given assumption. But yeah. It's also yeah. funny that like, you know, I think I still – I definitely still have that thing where, you know, everybody does where you just like sort of anecdotally are just like, oh, yeah, these things work like this. And then like years <laughs> later, you're like, what the fuck? Why did I think that? Yeah, exactly. Um, actually that's like, that's one of those things about like, I think comics are one of the things that I really uh, truly thought were more thought out than they really are. And I guess like I can understand comics nerds more than games nerds because like I definitely for a long time thought that comics had like, you know, people in the, in the business and in the main, like, you know, Marvel and DC who had like canon bibles and they're like okay guys like we can't get any of this wrong and it has to be really good story so here's what we have to do and just like late night meetings and working stuff out and like i feel like if you're never disabused of that by learning like how the world works i think they do now though they must i think they probably have like community outreach people who stay up on that i mean they do but because of the movies i mean it's it's yeah yeah, they they do because there was profit in it they didn't in the like the 2000s when i was like oh sweet they're finally the the best i i'm sure i've told the story in the podcast probably with you on but the the best story i have about that was this like very strange collector who used to go into the comic shop that i went to um and he's the one who had um, uh, he would have the the people put his um, put his comic books into his bag into his backpack. They'd have, he'd have them open it and put yeah yeah, yeah. and he yeah and he had the bout with gout. Uh, he said the the just put them around my gout soaked rags. I've had a bout with gout, so to speak. Um, that guy apparently was really into like very very old school DC characters. So, like, you'd get really excited if the haunted tank came back. 
Like you'd be like, did you see and like Dr. Fate this month? They have the haunted tank coming back. And like it, it like I feel like that kind of guy was like ran so walked so like comic book nerds today could fly. Like, <laughs> like the, the thing that I was just thinking of is like. It probably still exists, but I remember like 10 years ago finding out that there was just like a, a, a Mario Brothers wiki. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it exists. <laughs> the people are so dead serious about it that you can literally look at things and it'll be like, well, in the German comic version, there's a beyond Wario, there's a third brother named Barrio. So <laughs> this presupposes the existence of, a, you know, like, and you'd be like, they're, so good. they're talking about like extreme obscure Mario Brothers canon as if anything referenced in any, like, even like, you know, like, they sh- they sold a Mario Brothers bubble bath in 1991 and the princess said this, showing that, you know, like, evolution is true in the Mushroom Kingdom or something. It's just like, and just the idea that somebody's, it almost felt like Borges' like library, where it's like everything, including every weird semi-bootleg product spin-off of a thing is canon and there are people fighting to like work that into a unified theory of of everything i think what's so funny about that though is like if you're never if you're never disabused of how like how this stuff works in that like yeah look they didn't they didn't come up with the crisis on infinite earths or the crisis on multiple earths or whatever because they wanted to tell a good story. They came up with it because they're like, oh, we can get more characters in this and that'll get us more money. Um, like, if you're never disabused of that, you, I, I think, like, it's it's very easy to be like, yeah, like, this is all, this is how stories are told. Like, you have to, you have to really think about this stuff and make a, make a, make a universe and, like, it has to be consistent. Like, well, that's also funny, though, because I, yeah, I, it, it's also funny because it's super limiting of, of what yeah of what the people who actually make the thing can actually do if you know and luckily I've never been deeply invested in I, I think probably Star Trek is probably the one that has the most diehards who will be like no you can't do that nope you know like that level of mm-hmm. sort of fan interest and control but that's definitely like that's definitely I think why Next Generation's the favored uh, show because like Next Generation was just like oh yeah we have all these canon problems that we can't deal with holodeck it is <laughs> like just it's also funny because I just remember like years ago hearing that like oh yeah somebody made a timeline that shows how all the Legend of Zelda yeah I I, I had a whole podcast of, about that with my friend Mark yeah it's 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 wild it's just funny because I it's just like. No, man, they just make a new game. <laughs> like They're allowed to make a new game and it references the other games. But you also don't have to be like the multiple link theory or like, you know what I mean? Like It's like it, it honestly is sort of like so I, I um, I'll give a bit of a preview, I guess. I so I'm, I, this isn't a preview. I've said this a million times, but I'm writing a book and like the 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 chapter I just finished a draft on is on uh, Final Fantasy and um part of what I'm doing with Final Fantasy is like, okay, like I'm looking at all the games and seeing what they all kind of do and don't have in common what the evolution is and how that evolution is arced. And like one of the things that, that struck me was like, Oh yeah. Like these games sort of do and don't fit together. They're kind of like an anthology. Sometimes they'll reference the same names. And initially like my, my first inclination was like, okay, so like how do I figure out what this means? 
And at some point, like, my brain thankfully stepped in and was like, it doesn't have to mean anything. Like, well, that, that's also they're just kind of having fun and, like, referencing Sid in every game is fun for them. But I also think, like, pre-copyright, that was a kind of way that folk culture worked in general. Yeah. And yeah. not even folk culture, but, like, religious art and everything had a, a kind of cast of characters that could be taken and, and used and also have a name and a general look but also be wildly different. I mean, like... You can read about Commedia dell'arte, but they also mix and match those characters. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest thing is in, in Kabuki, there's the idea of a sekai, which is just like a world. It's like a cosmos. And the weirdest thing about that is you can have a, a play that has a folk hero everybody knows just in a totally different role. And because it's Kabuki, it can also be like an actual historical person is in it for no reason, even if it doesn't make sense. Right. This is this is where I'm going to say the the most important video game narratively at this moment for this theory is. Um, You're going to say, and I hate it. You you don't know what I'm going to say, do you? Kingdom Hearts. Aren't oh, I'm not going to say Kingdom Hearts. No. Oh. Although that would be a good example. Um, no, it's Super Robot Wars, baby. You ever play that? Oh yeah. I I see. I I you know probably people are going to find me and kill me for saying this but i never really watched gundam so i don't know a lot about that so So, super robot wars is really fun because i didn't watch a lot of gundam either i'll be honest with you but super robot wars is great because basically the premise of all of the games is hey what if um what if all the cool robots from all the series we like uh all were in the same game um and so like you know it's like especially in the modern games where the 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 um graphics are cool like the most recent one was on switch like it's you know like you get you get mazinger z and you get getter robo and you get like i think the big o is in one and like they had uh the cowboy bebop ship in this last one and stuff like and of course the all the gundams from every possible gundam and etc cetera, etc cetera. and basically it's just like hey um it doesn't matter how it happened uh, we'll give you some plot and stuff, but it, don't worry about it because there's a lot of robots in this. But yeah, but I, I see that's why, that's why the sort of uh, the need, the feeling of of having like, okay, well, Smash Brothers needs a story to say why you know fucking Yoshi's hanging out with whatever uh, Samus. Like it, you, you don't need that if the whole point is just to have all of these people in one place, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and that, and that's exactly right. Like, like, the story always ends up being like, oh, I've, I just heard from these people over here, and it's just like, you know, the, the, the people from, I don't know, like, the, like, the people from Voltron all of a sudden show up or whatever, right? Like, it's not, it, it, it always ends up being like, yeah, they have the same uh, basic um, conflict, for sure. This will actually kind of... I'm, first of all, I'm sorry for calling you a motherfucker and thought, thinking you wanted to talk about I completely understand. And I that is like 100% where I think everyone's brain was going. But I, I think the true sort of like anti-canon Commedia dell'arte, like why don't, why don't we just have everyone in here but make it fun, not the profound as Super Robot Wars. The other weird thing about Kingdom Hearts is from what I understand, I've never really played it, is that it... Kingdom Hearts is totally about the canonical reality of all of this bizarre yes. fantasy shit. 100%. It's also like, yeah, and also, I don't know, the fucking toys from Toy Story are here too. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like, it's it's basically like if you if you found like a, a particularly, uh, I'm not going to, I 
I don't mean to denigrate Kingdom Hearts with this because I know like I, I uh, Natalie Watson, I, who I would love to have on the podcast again. Um, I should I should ask her back. Um, was great. Did podcast with Waypoint for a while. Um, very good video games writer. Um, she's a big Kingdom Hearts fan, and like people make good cases for Kingdom Hearts. I'll be honest. Like it's. I think, but I, I think there's definitely a generational thing at play. I I I. I and I don't want to reduce anybody's enjoyment or experience with a thing. Oh, sure. Every, everybody I know who is like, no, you should actually like just at least watch the YouTubes. They're, they're people who are 10 years younger than me. I feel like people keep asking you to watch YouTubes and I wish they'd stop. <laughs> I think it's I think it's doing more harm than good. Um, no, I think like I, I look like I'm not I'm not going to lie and say like I'm into Kingdom Hearts. Like it's it's not something I've ever been able to get into. But like d- despite people um, asking me to like do YouTube explainers on it because they think it would be interesting to have me do it. Like I've had that request. I also have uh, not gotten the correct uh, paycheck to play like, you know, 300 hours and then do video on it. Um, what, from what I understand also, if you want to talk about the sort of like hell canon of that is that there are also games that came out on like the Wonder Swan that like, to understand what's going on in a game that came out on the PS4, you have to play. It's wild. You have to play the gotcha game. You have to watch the DVD. Like it's yeah. it's intense. But like you know the in 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 like I think the interesting thing about Kingdom Hearts, um, and you know they're they're like it's not the only the only thing about Kingdom Hearts, but like it is interesting. Is that like it would. Uh, one of the ways it comes about is like I think you could think about taking like the most ambitious um, fan fiction you've ever seen and be like, OK, like what if we made this real? Like it's like every kid's fantasy back in like 1996 on like Usenet or whatever, where it's like, what if someone finds this and makes a movie out of it? I just also have like a sort of like aesthetic allergy to uh, Nomura's designs in general. Mm. So. Just looking at it, it just feels like I don't know. It's like, rude. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, it's not rude. <laughs> I don't care. But I was like a kid. Uh, you know, PBS would always have weird like surgery footage on shows where it was just like someone cutting into a brain or something. And I, and I, the jolt I get from seeing like now school no more shit. I, w- I was down with like Final Fantasy VII or whatever. Probably up until ten, I liked his designs. But looking at it now, it just feels like I get this little like Ugh, like shock kind of Mm -hmm. like i can understand that i mean what i wanted what i wanted to bring up that actually semi doves tales into actually talking about video games and the thing that i kind of brought up to you please please so that we're not just like talking about i mean people like when people despite what the barstool guy said um it's not there most podcasts i think in the end boil down to like two people just chatting or two or more people just chatting. And I, I think that's fine. Didn't want to, uh, don't worry, but yeah, no. I'm, I was, I was on, I pitched you an idea. And then by the time I got to, it, it was like hour two and I was like, yeah, whatever. but, but we'll get to it an hour one. And, and like, we won't both stay up until 3am. But yeah. So, so I was telling you about how, uh, like I was playing, trying to play a gotcha game. Right. Right. Which one were you trying to play? So, you know, Alice, I was trying to play the one based on Romancing Saga, which just came out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, there's the there's the one on Saga. Yeah, Saga. Um, it's just funny because that presupposes you know all the characters from it. Which I am an edge case of somebody who lived in Japan and bought a Super Famicom and played Romancing Saga three. Mm-hmm. So I know a little bit of it. 
But the fact that there's a gotcha game where it's like, look who it is. They're all here. All your favorites. <laughs> it's just like being like, don't, don't, that, don't know that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's actually kind of funny, but I had this weird feeling that, you know, I just was playing that in like downtime, you know, actually found myself being like, maybe I should give them $20. And I was like, no, come on. But uh, yeah, that happened to me when I was playing a gotcha game as well. Like I, I've toned it down considerably, but there was like there were some feelings where I, I, I mean, look, like part of what I've said a million times and part of what I still believe is that like whatever gets you through quarantine gets you through quarantine. <laughs> and like but it, it was and I was like, yeah, fine. But like, you know, and you're right. Like it, it is one of those things where you're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe that would be a good idea. Like Maybe maybe. Maybe it'd make my life a lot easier if I just bought this. Well, it's funny because I, I played and beat Persona 5? 4? 5. 5. And, I, you know, I, I have a relationship with the Persona games that I play them for a long time. And by, like, hour 40, I'm like, too much time. Too much time in this. Fuck this. But, you know, like, <laughs> quarantine was a perfect time to just be like... Okay, I can play a few hours in a night. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else going on? Nope. <laughs> so, so you know, I haven't really been playing any games recently, but I was like, oh, yeah, I really liked Romancing Saga 3. And then I started playing this gotcha game, and I was like, oh, this is just the parts of a game that I don't like. <laughs> Literally <laughs> leveling forever and just fighting repeatedly over and over again, but... Did you ever do you ever play any of the saga games? No, I never really got into the saga games. It was I was basically the the normative case of like someone who really liked Super Nintendo RPGs while they were coming out and um got into the ones that were more available in the states. So like yeah. um Legend of Evermore uh the, those kinds of games were like the more sort of niche ones that I liked, but you know, your Secret of Manas, your Final Fantasies, your Chrono Triggers, that kind of stuff. I think the Saga games have started coming out on, like, modern PlayStation consoles. Yeah, you can get them. Like, uh, Square Enix is always sending me emails trying to get me to buy Saga games. Um, it just, if only they were sending me codes to review Saga games. Well, it's just it's just funny because those games, there, there are a lot of Square, like, uh, mid-90s Super Nintendo also ran games that never came out here, which are kind of my favorite. Mm. Just like when we were talking about Shin Megami Tensei, like, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to recommend. Be like, yeah, play this really bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing Shin Megami Tensei four, and it's taking all of my like effort. Whenever I'll, I'll post screenshots, and like, and, like they're, they're some of my favorite parts in the game, and like, of course, they're like they're fun, fun, and like I think they're cool and stuff. And then like people will be like, huh, this game looks kind of interesting. And I'm like, listen, it's. <laughs> Gonna be maybe if you haven't played one, it's gonna be the most frustrating game you've ever played. In your life. <laughs> like, and also, if if but great, talk, if if you wanted to talk to people about how great Shin Megami Tensei Two is, like, oh yeah, good luck. It's like it's like there's that proviso of like yeah, also like there's no ease of use, and also everything takes forever, and also it's really hard to understand. So don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no. Like in, in this, like I was talking to a friend about it, and like. I felt like it, the only reason that, that he was continuing with it, with it after hitting a wall a few times was because he had played Nocturne a little bit too. And like, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, just, you know, keep using debuffs and focus on weaknesses. It's like, it's like 
yeah, this is a this is not a normal way to play a video game where you're just like, oh yeah, be sure to fuse your demons in order to get debuffs, and it's the game you've said like, if you like JRPGs, you'll like this. Um, it's it's also funny though because like the there are two games that I I played you know maybe ten years ago because I was in Japan and I had a Super Famicom, which are these Square also ran games that never came here that I absolutely love. But, uh, yeah, it's Romancing Saga 3, which is the one that I really liked. And there's also one called Rudra no Hiho. It's like uh, Artifacts of the Rudra, of the Rudras, mm-hmm. or of the Rudras, maybe. It's, it's a really bizarre square game that I think probably came out after Chrono Trigger. It's got beautiful artwork. It's got a spell system that is based on... Um, Huh. It's based on like Sanskrit mantras. So you wow. put together wow. you put together different syllables to make different spells. And once you figure out the logic of some of them, you can actually make really powerful spells that you may or may not be able to use. You can also fuck up and hurt yourself. Reminds me of like it reminds me of what they tried to do in Final Fantasy three with the like the sword tech and like the, the monk skills. And then also yeah. more successfully in Xenogears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think I think uh, Treasure of the Rudras might actually have a fan translation. Ah. Downloadable. But it's also a game that is really hard to understand. A, because it takes place in like a sort of combination of like Vedic Hindu world, but also science fiction at the same time. That makes kind of no sense. But that's kind of like right up my alley. So I really like the way it looks and works, but that's one of those things that's hard to sell people on. But the the thing about Romancing Saga 3 is like, it's hard to believe it's a game from like 95 or 96 or something that is basically an open world where once you get through like an intro, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Yeah. Which, which. That's crazy in the 90s. To believe they did that, you know, like 25 years ago or whatever. But it's also because they did that really hard to understand and hard to get around. And I think number two was like that too. But I remember looking at a fact in Japanese that was like, yeah, if you play the third one, you can actually play it and beat it. If you play the second one, if you don't do the correct things, you'll basically not be able to beat it. <laughs> I was like, That's brutal. I'll play the third one then. The, I, it, you know, it reminds me a little bit of how, like, uh, like the difference between um, the difference between uh, uh, Final Fantasy one and uh, Dragon Quest one, where like Final Fantasy one had like a fairly I mean, for 1987 or whatever, had a fairly clear uh, narrative, right? You had to do A, B, and C. You kept having quests. You had to, you know, open a bridge because you couldn't get it, it, all the basic stuff you'd expect. Whereas Dragon Quest, I don't know if you remember Dragon Quest one, but like, basically the king just says like, "Oh, my my daughter, like, please, please help her." And then you you could, if you wanted to, just go face the boss at level one, <laughs> like face the last boss. You could do whatever you wanted. Like there was no there was no guidance. And like I remember playing that and being like, "What is going on? Why? The, I don't know what to do. I I give up." I remember actually the as a kid playing Dragon Quest one because they it was such a huge hit in Japan that they tried to sell it over here and like they couldn't give it away. Yeah, Dragon Warrior, right? I think if you 
bought a Nintendo, you got a voucher for it to be sent to your house with like a guide and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember me and my brother playing it and like not really knowing how to make any progress. And a friend of mine explaining to me that you had to like level up, which meant killing the same things over and over again and healing and being like, wow, really? Is that cheating? Be like, no, that's what you have to do. And being like, oh, okay. <laughs> Is that cheating? It just seemed like like a degenerate strategy or something like, but I'm not actually beating them well. I've just killed 10 of these things so I'm stronger. I don't know. It's just like, I just remember the time when like a basic JRPG function was explained to me and being like, oh, that seems weird, but okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. Um, weird then to play like the romancing saga uh, gacha game because it's literally just that over and over again and the thing about the saga games even like saga frontier is like you can cruise along and then not understand why you hit a wall (laughs) (laughs) because did you ever play saga frontier or anything no i mean i've 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 touched it like i've touched like um uh yees or wise or whatever and like a lot of those sort of series that that passed me by that like ended up being so big i couldn't actually cut into them uh funny because the saga the saga stuff like i am not somebody who gets crunchy into numbers and min maxing and stuff because i rather i'm not someone who also needs immersion so i don't want to know what any of the mechanics of the game is just like you'd rather like uh ride jet skis and like talk to cool ladies no, I just, well, absolutely, yeah. My jet ski part, but... You don't want to ride jet skis? I don't know. I'm just, I, I know, they're they're extremely bad for the planet. In this economy? <laughs> no, but I mean, just like, it's just weird because, like, I remember, you know, buying just a Super Famicom cart of of uh, Saga, Front, Saga 2 and just being like, how does this game even work? And then looking up any fact of it, and it would just be like hundreds of pages of spreadsheets and just being like, huh, this is actually really cool if you just fuck around and it's all mysterious. <laughs> this is much, yeah, well, I've, I've had that happen with like the Shin Megami Tensei games where it's like, <clears throat> it's cool once you realize like, oh, sweet, I can like, I can make a version of like the demon that I fought as a boss. Like, that's so cool. They can be in my party. And then after you like do it for a while following the guides, you're like, yeah, this has actually lost some of the magic because now I, I, it isn't coming naturally. It's just like I min-max this in a way that is no longer fun. Well, the cool thing about the saga games is also like after a fight or a battle or something, what stats you get just are random. Oh, cool. Randomly get stats, which may or may not be based on what you did in battle, but sometimes totally aren't. <laughs> and like learning new skills, this sort of thing. Phenomenal. Thing, that's been a bridge across the whole series is like sometimes you'll go to do one thing and your character will have inspiration shown as a little light bulb above their head and they'll do a totally new crazy skill. (laughs) And there's no saying why that is, except if, you know, like you look at a spreadsheet of it like 20 years after the fact where somebody has figured out exactly how to do what and how to get the best ones. Wild. But it's, there's something really interesting to playing those games and just being like, Hey man, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> like, you know, like Yeah, and I mean like that's that's the thing with the uh, gotcha games is like I think there's something there's an argument that they would be far more fun if you did that, right? Like they'd be far more fun if you were like, I don't know what this thing is, this is crazy. Um instead of going online and like finding the uh finding, you know, whatever YouTuber has done a 
a guide of it so you can like you know use your free currency correctly etc cetera, etc cetera. but because it's all free currency because versus paid currency because they're like, they're like games meant to make a profit profit you can't go in blind because if you did that you'd lose all your money oh that was another the only other gotcha game i've looked at was uh they made a shin megami tensei ah yes and it's it's beautiful. The the way it looks is great, but uh, at least the way the the models of the you know characters you know and love look great. But the weirdest thing to me about that one is every time you open it, there's a barrage of sort of like breaking news for sales. <laughs> They're just kind of like if you and if you act now, blah blah blah, and you're just sitting there being like, okay, like act fast, supplies are going fast. Thing about like fake jewels and video games <laughs> not even true when it's infomercials or things on tv or whatever it's very not true now yeah yeah it's it's just super weird that being like can i play this video game or is it literally just going to be advertised to but like that really creeped me out real bad i was like i would love to just give you guys 20 dollars for a game that's not based on sort of degenerate strategy gambling shit like yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. for sure. Like it, it is, it is. I don't know. Like I don't know why that's the way it is now. I guess because it's profitable, but it's it's a drag. Yeah, it's weird because I I've heard the discourse about it about loot boxes and stuff like that, but I I never played any of the Call of Duty games or anything, so I never really even saw that. It's weird that it's. It's it's sad that that things move in the direction of profit. Of course, I mean we don't have to. That's like me saying gravity exists. But like what? Just what? <laughs> check it out. Okay, <laughs> just jump up and down. See see what happens. But but you know what I mean. It's just sad that like that seems so normalized now that people are like, oh well, yeah, of course Ubisoft says that if you give them ten dollars on top of the sixty dollars you gave them, your character will level up faster. And it's like. Can we just buy something and have it? <laughs> like everything becoming a service seems so obviously pernicious and weird. Like yeah, yeah, it it is odd. Like it's 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 and it and it it, 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 it I don't know. It produces this like, this like it produces this sense of I don't know this sense of loyalty to the corporation that like. That also doesn't make a lot of sense where like, so the, the, the gotcha I play a lot of is this gotcha called Arknights, which I've talked about on the show. And I've actually really liked your, uh, that in defense of fluff, right? Oh, thank Yeah, that was me. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was like, that was like, honestly, probably the best I could do out of, out of Arknights, but it's, it, you know, it's, it is a fun game and I enjoyed it and it helped me get through, through quarantine and all that stuff. Um, it also like and and part of the part of the um, you know part of the the thing part of the thing that is cool about Ark Knights and part of the reason people like it is that like they are um, it's a game that like gives you enough free currency that you can like play the game normally without paying to win like you could just like you know just play the game in a, in a regular way and, and you'd be fine. You, you could do all the stuff you could, you know, you might not be able to do like the high level, like weird, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm filming this for YouTube and hoping people watch it kind of stuff, but like you could play the game. But what's funny about that is like, it is, it is like 
still a game that wants to make you pay money. And so, like, everyone gives it credit for being, you know, far less uh, 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 pernicious and predatory. Still pernicious and predatory. <laughs> it's, like, it's, just, it's just weird, though, because, like, it's weird how quickly those things are normalized. I remember mm-hmm. when the idea of DLC was making people, like, lose their fucking mind. But it was always about games I, I never really played. I just was vaguely aware of it on the internet. And it's just weird how basically normalized that is. But, I, you know, that's... I don't know if literally owning the files of the game that you have or owning the files of the music is necessarily, like, a better thing. But the fact that everything is becoming a service... Yeah. Yeah. ...does really... It's, it's weird to me how normal also Spotify is. And all I hear is people complain about it. And it's like... It, don't use it. They don't even fucking pay artists. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, what, am I, what else am I going to do? Buy the record? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, just buy the fucking record. You got an MP3 player, and if, if if you, on your computer at least, and like, you know, don't. But yeah, that's, it was just weird to me that if you open up that SMT gotcha game, that literally. Yeah. I haven't looked at it in months, but literally it is at least three minutes of flashing things being like, sale, 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 act now. And it's being like, uh, like, no, man. Like, <laughs> I would prefer to like give you five dollars to ten dollars to twenty dollars for a game instead of. It's weird that the idea of paying upwards of like thirty to fifty dollars for a game is stupid and wrong, but paying nothing and paying in tiny increments over time is okay. Almost feels like we're on the losing end of some kind of like uh, psychological experiment. How dare you suggest that we are on the losing end? We're we're winning with all these great deals. Um, um, no, you're right. Like I think I think one of the one of the one of the biggest problems with with gotcha games particularly is this sense of you know people basically saying like yeah, okay, like of course they're in it for profit. Like yeah, obviously. And that first move to say like yes, obviously they're all in it for profit and they want to trick you into giving them $100 every month because you you want the new characters. And it's like that's not something we should just accept. <laughs> That's not okay. I don't know. I'm in a. I feel like I've talked about some version of this every time I'm on this podcast, and I don't want to be a broken record. But it <laughs> it's weird to me how easily people sort of like take in and take as given the most sort of like mercenary and cynical monetary reasons for the way the art that they love is made and sold to them, mm-hmm. and internalizing that makes you feel sophisticated enough that you start repeating it almost as like a critique or uh, like that's just the way it is about the stuff that you love, which, you know, like I understand it makes you feel sophisticated, but like, I feel like there's been a thing for a while that like hearing nerds talk about movies, not, not any of my friends really, but seeing this, just the general critique being like movies are just a way to sell kids soda and popcorn and get asses in theaters, make a big deal out of it. And it's like, yeah, your, your whole identity is built around that. So if you truly believe that it's a trick to make you buy expensive sodas, like why do you care? You know what? Yeah. What, what a soulless empty life you live. But I, I, I've seen that that argument, especially about anything, about all art entertainment in general being made by people that like – lots of times you see like a new thing come out and they're like, oh, well, this is a cynical money grab. But you got to give them – you got to really hand it to them that this is a smart cynical money grab. It's <laughs> like 
why <laughs> you have to do that? I mean, if you're on the board, like, yeah, by all means. But if you're like a fan of this thing, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's, 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 there's no reason you'd have to hand it to him. Like, it's, I don't know. I guess like the, the, the problem for me is less is is this is this conflation, as you say, and I think you said it. I think the way you said it really helps. Like, helps, like uh, I don't know, um, clarify it. Clarify it. Is it like, it's it's a uh, it's a conflation between like observation and critique like for you to say like you know something we're we're very quick to call out when it comes to something like um uh, 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 uh climate change right where like some you know ineffectual politician will be like uh you know like we are experiencing uh you know dramatic highs and it's not okay but then not pass any legislation to help it right we're just like okay you've pointed out the problem but done nothing to fix it and in this, it's like, you could say, oh, like, um, you know, this game is is not too, uh, um, it's not as um, uh, predatory as other gotchas. And instead of being like, well, you didn't say anything really useful there. You just kind of gave it a man out. People are like, yeah, it's true. You know, there is a level of like of predatoriness that we're willing to accept. And I think that's good that you pointed that out. Like, it's not... Christ, Trevor, I just had a horrible revelation. What's that? What's that? Uh, that? That thing where you've internalized the mercenary and heartless business behind the things that you think you love and by repeating that that's just the way it is and that mercenariness is good is Biden 2020. That is 100 percent Biden 2020. That's correct. correct. Oh, my God. I, I've just last two or three days <laughs> seen my friends getting into it with uh, – with 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 sort of like i guess the word would be black pill yeah it's just yeah. sort of like oblivion minded liberals who are just like like a friend of mine being like hey i need medical care to live and i can't afford it and people being like well your guy lost loser so show up it and just being like are are you gloating like <laughs> are you gloating about like Biden being the guy also you probably were were a big Kamala or Warren supporter and Biden isn't your first choice, but you've internalized this thing of like, that's just politics and it's not going to be pretty, but you know, like that kind of thing. Right. But right. seeing, seeing liberals punch left with a gloating glee of like, and that's just how it works kind of thing is maybe you'll learn something today. Like, I mean, they're always like that, but in the past week, it's maybe just because of, oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, 80 something. Oh, 80 Barkan. Is yeah. that him? 80 Barkan talking to, to Biden and Biden just kind of smugly being like, well, having private choice is an important thing. And being like, okay, that means people are going to die. Like, it seems like they've gotten very, like, almost on the offensive of being, like, gloaty and attacking Right, yeah. Oh, we don't need you, liberals, or we don't need you, lefties, or whatever. And it's just kind of like, yeah, but when you're talking about healthcare stuff and it's like the difference between life and death, like, it's weird to see that. But okay. Yeah. Also, you you think that tone will make people go out and vote for your guy is also the weirdest part of it. Well, yeah, of course. And like, you know, it's 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 always projection when it's about Bernie bros, right? Like, yeah. It's always like, yeah, we're we're not doing any good, but these guys are doing even worse. Um, I, I guess I didn't expect this kind of like Bernie bro sort of like nihilist axe grinding to be going into this late into the game. Yeah, it's surprising. I, I think, but I think you're right. Like, I think, 
what it boils down to with like as with so many things and and what is ultimately the death of all meaning is <laughs> not to oversell it uh, but is is this uh it's it's you know putting yourself in a team saying like well my team did a good thing and your team screwed up like well but but i think so so the people who are not necessarily just the people who are doing that sort of like fucking monstrous gloating over someone saying that they probably won't be able to live without the healthcare they need. I think a lot of people who are not that sort of blackpilled do have a thing where they've internalized, well, this is just how politics works. I don't want Biden. You don't want Biden, but you got to hand it to them. They really pulled a number and that's how it works. And it's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. That level yeah. of like, and I don't understand why people accept that other than maybe there's a feeling that you feel sophisticated for it's it's the it's the west wing virus it's 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 being able to look at it and say like i see what the writers did this week i've like i've been saying this like about the the whole wayfair um uh thing today right like you saw that started that started last night and oh my god okay truly incredible stuff you might as well fill in the listeners on this because this may not exist tomorrow yeah and 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 what a shame if you've missed it but um yeah basically a bunch of QAnon people uh noticed that there are dumb expensive um pieces of furniture on Wayfair, um, which for any of us who have used or seen or know how furniture stores work, you know, big surprise. But there's stuff that costs like $12,000 and they're all called like, you know, the Ashley uh, the wardrobe or the like the Dubenbacher uh, bed. No, it, and, but but they, like they have like, sort of like feminine names. Or well, so so but they're, they're either feminine first names or, or last names. Or last names. Uh, and so the, some of them are last names, and they'll be like, oh, but, like, uh, Kelsey Dubenbacher was kidnapped uh, from her home seven months ago. And then, like, Ashley Denbe was kidnapped uh, eight months ago. And so, like, they just – they found these expensive things. They noticed that they had feminine names, which is a marketing ploy. Let's let's be clear. None of this is real. Um, and they uh, – the QAnon people decided that what ha- what is actually happening here is Wayfair is – not selling, selling furniture, furniture, but in fact selling trafficked people. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They're selling the furniture, but inside of that furniture. <laughs> is that is that really what they thought? I, I literally saw two people arguing about this. I think because someone was saying they are all cabinets and, you know, a child would fit in this cabinet. And then someone had screenshot a thing of someone saying like, yeah, I used to work at Wayfair and occasionally there'd be rush jobs that were really expensive and we had to move them and we couldn't ask about them and they would weigh tons more than blah, blah, blah. So – that's ridiculous. Like, well, but like, so, so it's all ridiculous. Let's, let's be clear. But like the, so like the, the whole point of that, about all this, the reason I bring this up other than it being very funny, because like the idea that Wayfair is um, like, you know, super villain, stupid about making their plans way out in the open. Like, uh, oh, th- this, it's the, <laughs> the Karen, <laughs> like cackling madly. Like, uh, the whole thing, and I was saying this to my wife, like, the whole thing reads like a Dean Koontz novel or like a Dan Brown novel where, like, everything, everything has to connect. Has to connect. Like, everything has to, has to connect and it has to have some sort of very clear ending and a very clear kind of, like, not moral, but, like, but like, like, very clear kind of, like, 
uh, arc where every mystery is solved. There's not a like a unsatisfactory ending. You get to know everything. Um, and so for also for QAnon, oh good. I think a specific thing is also the people who are doing nefarious things are also telegraphing every aspect of the nefarious thing for anyone who might be a detective searching them out. Yeah, right. Which presupposes that like they want to get caught and they're, you know what I mean? Well, and it's, it's like, it's, it's the same kind of logic that says so. Donald Trump knew Jeffrey Epstein and they were friends because Donald Trump was actually secretly saving those girls. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, that is, well, that's the thing that drives me. It's the coolest one. About Epstein. It's like literally like the main document we have of a journalist investigating Epstein was the New York magazine one where literally there's a you know there's a testimonial from the person who's our president now saying like yeah he always has the girls around and he likes them really young he likes them younger than i like i like them young but jeffrey you're just sitting there like no they didn't use like a thing that you had to get out your decoder (laughs) right they were saying they just said it straight out like you know they didn't hide it. They there weren't secret right. handshakes right. other than being friends with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think like I no, that's like that's exactly right. And like it's like it's the the idea of the idea of the the idea of like doing having having like a secret handshake or having some sort of code, but having it be like just difficult enough to discover to code that like your you know your top crack team of uh of people who are unemployed and on the internet have to figure it out like it not that there's anything wrong with being unemployed or but not that there's you know anything specifically wrong with being on the internet although more and more um <laughs> but you know like it, it so it's also weird though because i found in my life just in general, even before everyone was so terminally online and the conspiracy stuff was mainstream, whenever internet detectives t- get together to figure something out, they always fuck it up. Yeah, they always get it wrong because they're looking for connections that just like, that just like don't exist in real life. But I also think the basic nature of the way the internet works, not social media as much as the internet of literally being a connection that leads to a connection that leads to a connection – the actual way that you use the internet when you're moving through pages is almost the same as building a conspiracy wall. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. So it, I think it predisposes people to be that way. But like the thing about the QAnon thing that's so – there's a lot. But the thing that is the most mind-numbing and actually really depresses the shit out of me is every basic premise they have is true. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are evil people who are unassailable, who who, <laughs> who taunt us out in the open with that unassailability and do things that they'll never be punished for. Absolutely correct. Yes. And the fact that some of them are doing human trafficking involving children is also true because we know a very famous one who was killed in jail a year ago. Right. Who was friends with literally everybody, including the current president and an old president and literally everybody. Yeah, just like buddies with all your favorites. You've always find out he's friends with Michael Caine and he's friends with. Right. Oh, was he friends with Michael Caine? Uh, there was a, a, a G Lane and a Michael Caine pick that was Jeez going around. Christ. Well, anyway, the, the thing about that is it's all true. But then the fact that it ends up going like and actually the good guys are Donald Trump and maybe just like, OK, man. Like you, you just lost the plot. Like the good guys, are, and, and you know, like even if Donald Trump were like a good guy, even if I wasn't like virulently anti-Donald Trump, like the 
the idea that you would then say like, and the good guys are coming, the cavalry is on their way and they're going to save everyone and they're going to fix it. Like, well, that's the thing that makes that that's the thing that ties it back to Biden, where it's like it can't just be venal. It can't just be like someone wants power. It can't just be, can't just be Joe Biden does not care about anyone and, and wants to be president so he can prove something, something. to his own addled like <laughs> ambition. And and that's all it is. That's all it is. Like, but the thing that the thing that scares the shit out of me about QAnon specifically is it's a conspiracy theory that's not liberatory. It's a conspiracy theory not in which we find the bad guys and overthrow them, and have a more you know like common people take power. It's the opposite. It's it's just praying for a a, a benevolent like fascist father figure. Mm-hmm. Which is super strange, but makes sense considering that like. You know, everybody said this, but I think conspiracy theories, just like folk culture and its connection to taboo is like the way the things we're not allowed to talk about mutate into very bizarre folk culture and conspiracy theory. It's like obvious in a time where everything is wrong in the basic makeup of power and money in our world and what it's literally doing to every person. But it's so weird than that then turns into like, and the child molesters have this handshake and on this day they wear this hat, you know, and it's like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's so weird that you literally can't be like, yeah, everybody is immiserated more so than they were 10 years ago, more so than they were 10 years before that. And 10 years from now will be worse is what they're telling us. But the problem is, um, Democrats, wearing babies faces that they've cut off of babies like secretly you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah you can't talk about any structural power thing so it becomes oh yeah and it's all about like things are going to be so much better when everyone has to go to military tribunals <laughs> yeah no exactly and like I, I think that's that's the thing with biden too though where it's like, where it's like yeah a guy won because he was smarter and like knows how politics work and knowing how politics work is the w- main thing that's good and it's never about like well, what should we fun. what should we hope for from a from a president like what should we want from like someone who leads the country and it's like well what we should want is they're smart and they do speeches and sometimes they reach across the aisle it's like but cool there's something, there's something about the modern democrats that's so cynically nihilistic and also so fucking stupid at the same time and I'm not talking about like the leaders because I believe that they are controlled opposition that's been colonized by lobbying money like I'm talking about the people who actually are not on their payroll who, who repeat this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something really cynical and nihilistic. Like that's like literally like that's politics, bitch. Like, yeah, like that kind of thing. But also the people, they take that attitude for always lose. Yeah. Like yeah. they just poured tons of money into Amy McGrath. Yeah. Just to have her pull out like a, like a, like a, like a skin of her nails win against someone who had like, who had what, like a, an eighth of her funding? Less? And also a total groundswell of support and a totally excited uh, community behind them. But they, they poured all this money into McGrath, and the odds are she's probably going to get her ass kicked by Mitch McGrath. Oh, yeah, strong odds. Take take the money on that one. Which is somebody the Democrats could really afford to beat and should. He's probably the person who shaped politics the most in this country in the last 30 years. Yeah, The fact that they poured all their money into somebody who will lose to him. And in the case, in the long odds case that she actually beats him, she is basically a Republican. Right. Well, uh, 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 Alex, Alex, you don't know anything about being a Democrat in a red state, Alex. 
obviously it's not true if Booker could get that kind of support. And if, if a if a national party put support behind somebody who had that support in their community, they could actually change the way that power worked in that place. That, that's why I'm saying that. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. I, I'm kidding, by the way. I, I know. I get oh, yeah. Or, but oh, OK, good. <laughs> a lot of I, I know you were being sarcastic. I'm just saying I get a lot of people don't understand that. So the weirdest thing about the sort of cynical mainline Clintonite consensus Democrat gloating is they are also gloating about people who lose and when they happen to barely win they cave to republicans right yeah because then they they are so desperate i mean even if you don't want to think that they're controlled opposition like they're so incredibly desperate to keep their their position that they're just like well i can't make anyone angry at me whereas every republican's like yeah okay everyone be angry at me that's my brand like i'll i'll just own that there was a tim Kreider, tim i think is his last name comic that was years ago that was just like it was democrat or republican and the republican is saying fuck you more money for us oh i know that one yeah it's going oh uh we'll kill somebody if you want would that make you happy if we kill if we kill a brown person like <laughs> and those are your two choices in america and it's like that's always been true except now the democrats also say fuck you to the majority of their user the user supporter base they also say it to their user base too let's be clear they're but it's just weird that i you know it's fucking four years after the clinton lost to trump and that was a combination of the most cynical and also totally incompetent thing that i've ever seen in my life and also expensive yeah and but then of course like of course like the, i mean the 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 groundswell of making it that, you know, uh, you know, butter emails or Hillary warned us and stuff. I mean, it truly was like, if I literally, if you want to watch wag the dog, like in real life, <laughs> I, I had to, I had to sit my father down and show him the, uh, the reporting on, on Russiagate from what's his name? Aaron Mate. If you know who that is. I don't, I don't, Well, he basically went through when they say bots and when they say pages that, that are, how the Russians won. Here are what they are. There are a thing called Blacks for Trump that had like 100 views. They're, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you actually follow what bots they were talking about, what deceptive pages, they are not really anything. And I finally had to like show that to my father to be like, I know you don't know what bots are, but they've told you that bots made Trump win. Please check this out. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a friend who who like I was talking to and I was like, yeah, like it was 2017 maybe or 2018. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just on Twitter a lot. And he's like <laughs> talking about all the Russians. huh? And I was I, I laughed because I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Right. And he was like, no, there's like it's like crazy there. Like it's all Russians. Like, how do you even know you're talking to a real person? And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like, you're you're a thinking person. Like, what's going on? <laughs> You should have told him about the Venezuelans. There was a time where if you mentioned Venezuela at all, somebody named like John 00188868888 would show up and be like, I actually think that uh, Juan Guaido is the best. <laughs> is that right? Is that true? <laughs> yes, it was, it, was, it was hilarious to the point that we were just saying like Venezuela and see who would like it. That's really funny. I mean, honestly, the, the, the Juan Guaido, Guaido. stuff is um, – I don't know, just, just, uh, in terms of just total comic comedic failure. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. I'm actually so happy that Trump and friends are as incompetent as they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
Yeah. I, as I was saying that, I was thinking like, yeah, but local police forces are pretty competent about what they're doing. I wish those were a little more. <laughs> Let's just spread the, incom- spread the, incom- excuse me, the incompetency around. I, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. Oh, no. But, yeah, maybe, 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 we're, maybe we're rounding into a moment. Um, yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking that like it was so funny. Was it Venezuela or was it Bolivia that they tried to do like a mini Bay of Pigs with like Instagram – that was uh, Venezuela. Venezuela. That was Venezuela. Yeah. That yeah. during 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 basically a pandemic killing everybody, they were just like, oh yeah, and also guys tweeting about going to <laughs> going to Venezuela, and then later complaining about how you know like he got stiffed by America who didn't pay up. Yeah, like oh hey Donald, please recognize us. We tried to help, and he's like, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> the fact that you could like at the president like can i get a retweet on my uh <laughs> on on what i want to like uh get out of jail like please please help <laughs> that's so insane well alex talk to me a little bit more about your comic real quick and then uh, oh actually can i i can you can you give me like a tight five on what your book is oh god i'm so bad at tight fives but yeah sure i can try about your book and you said like oh i'm so sick of everybody i'm always talking about this but you never said like what the book. Is. I know. I this is this is my thing. I say I'm sick of talking about something, and what it means is I've mentioned it in my own head 800 times and told three people. And so like this this has been something since high school. Like I I had a solo in a choir concert, or I sang like most of the Ave Maria. Because um, uh, in, in case you're keeping up on your lore, um, I I was a professional child, not professional, but I was in a professional children's choir. Um, I never got paid, so you know I wasn't a professional. But, um, but yeah, like so, I I had a good had have you know it's out of practice now a good singing voice. Um, and so I I you know in high school choir I could just kind of get you know I could do pretty well for myself because it wasn't as stringent. So I got a solo singing in Ave Maria, and some combination of just like not wanting to tell anyone and then also, um, just not like. Uh, I guess like not thinking it was a big deal. Like I, all of my family was there to see the concert. And then Avi Maria started, they were like, Oh, I wonder who's going to have the solo. And then I stepped up. Like they still like, they still get like irritated with me. about that. They're like, you told none of us. Like, so I, this is, this is, this is just who I am. But uh, the book is basically on, I think the tightest five I can give you is the book is basically on um, the, the, um, uh, basically like a feedback loop in in that I see in video games. It's, it's not only in video games, but I think it's particularly um, emphasized within video games where uh, effectively like over the course of a series, right? I mean, Saga is a good example because it's such a massive series that obviously lives and dies with its fan base. Um, but like the, especially with series that last a long time, like Final Fantasy over, you know, two to three decades, um, or even something like Metal Gear, which has a shorter sort of lifespan, but or maybe a shorter lifespan vis-a-vis like amount of games, but also has a huge cultural impact. There's like an initial effort, right, where in the first game where there's a thesis or, or a claim or an idea. And then over time, that idea gets changed uh, to, to, you know, better fit the game, but also changed in order to, I don't know, produce a uh, a game that's more palatable to the player base, right? Like 
the reception happens and players say, I liked this, or this is like, this is Final Fantasy to me. And eventually, like, and that dynamic produces a a thing where uh, the creators are like, hey, I produced the next thing in the series. It's what you expected from the series. But then often that, like, receptive uh, dialogue then produces a third move where the game changes yet again um, and, like, sort of, like, merges and often creates, like, a super conservative move, but sometimes doesn't. Like, Final Fantasy it turned out okay, which is surprising, but, like, you know, like, in Metal Gear, like, this is, like, this is why... The first two Metal Gears are clearly about nuclear nuclear uh, deproliferation and like the the way that politics is all a game that people feed to you that, you know, the actual real powers that be are are like are laughing at you. Um, And then the third game is like, all right, uh, now you're now you're the good soldier in 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 the jungle. Like, be sure to be sure to kill the bad. People are going to get so mad at me because people love three. It's a great game. No, I, it's funny because it's it's funny because I really love the way three plays. But it following two that was kind of demystifying the idea of hero. Play. Yeah, and then there's a hero, like felt a clear hero. You were like, you were like, oh, they're they're gonna take this apart by the end. They're like, no, nah, they took apart the mystification of your mom slash love interest slash teacher character. You're like, all right, that's cool. I can. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's the thing. Like it, it became a game more about like how cool snake was and like all, that's just, all the mythos around snake. I, I feel like a perfect victim of, of, of the feedback would be the character of Kojima himself. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. The trajectory of his stuff. I mean, five was actually a video game, but, Four is one of those bloated, bizarro things. It's almost like a Jess Franco horror movie that had too big of a budget, and you're like, "The fuck is going?" <laughs> In it, no, those horror movies are more interesting. Four, I thought, was just like, oh, and no one liked it. I mean, no one's no one's even doing like the 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 recapturing of it, where they're like, actually, it was very good. Like, no, no, I, it's funny that that hasn't happened. But how much of that feedback do you think is based on a sort of uh, democratic? democratization of social media and people's reaction happening reactions happening in, in real later life. on. I mean, a lot of it, like, I, I think like, you know, so, so early feedback say in like final fantasy, right. And like, like the, uh, my thesis is basically that by final fantasy six, they'd and seven, they'd basically come up between those two with a formula that worked and then stuck with that formula to the point where it was like all of a sudden, anytime they stepped out of line, their game got terribly, terribly reviewed. And then when they stepped back in line, everyone was like, "Wow, game of the generation! Final Fantasy's back!" Um, until until they did until they did uh, Final Fantasy fourteen and like actually stuck with it and changed everything. And I don't want to give away the whole thing, but that's basically that's so funny though because as a fan of things, so the fact that I was I was describing those two Square games that are like kind of also ran weirdo experiments mm-hmm. like. It was always disappointing to me when when a when a series becomes people go like okay well here's the quintessence of the series you know like wait that there wasn't a quintessence everyone used to be different yeah right and and like the honestly like if you look at it the if you look at it game by game which is something I'd I'd never I mean because I'm not a sadist or I'm, I'm, I am a sadist I'm not a masochist um, I'm, I'm making people read this so I must be a sadist but important distinction but the um, you know like if you look through every game. And you look at how they went and like how they changed. You can see the formula being produced by by six or seven. But and and when six or seven came out, they were like pretty novel and fun. 
fun. But then it's a formula. Then, then it's like this worked like, really well, and people get really mad at us when we don't do it. But like, I, I, think, like, I think like that just happens so much faster. Um, you can even look at something like The Last of Us Two, right? Where and like I know, <laughs> I was I was thinking about actually pitching that to you as a topic of I have not played The Last of Us Two, but I have two friends who have played it and are very depressed about it. <laughs> and I actually told a third friend I didn't want to talk about it for two hours. I so. yeah, I have um, I have like I have a uh, I have a um. I have a couple friends who like who who actually really enjoyed it as just like a fun game to play and like I am not going to play it because I I bums me out and like I don't I don't like I don't like its treatment of trans people I don't I don't really think Dotty Dog is a very uh, good studio in a lot of ways whatever like even even labor disputes aside I kind of hate their shit because it's this kind of bastardized thing that's just trying to be a movie and not a good movie. Mm-hmm. I've never liked their stuff, but the funniest thing is that my first friend who played it played uh, Last of Us 2. I was like just teasing him. I was like, oh, you get to shoot dogs in that? And he was like, yo, fuck dogs. You shoot people and then the dogs come and cry about you shooting them. And also everybody you shoot is mo-capped, so it looks totally real. It's not like Grand Theft Auto. It's literally just like people calling out somebody's name as their <laughs> And the game makes you do it. And I was just like, oh, cool <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a great game i i can't believe i can't believe we got that instead of martyrs the game but yeah. so it goes like yeah and like i mean last of us 2 is a good example though right like because it is it is this thing where all of a sudden you get this instant feedback right of like hey i loved this game and what i loved about it was um how intense it was and how it made you make like hard decisions and like you know what i what i thought was cool was that uh you know ellie um was so important to Joel. I never played the first game, so I'm guessing. Uh, was, I'm not entirely. I'm just trying to remember. I think, I think that's right. I um, like Ellie was so important to Joel that he would do anything to save her. And like that was a really intense feeling. And it felt like cool and like important. And so yeah, everyone at Naughty Dog's like, OK, so the thing we need to do is make this feel more intense, more important and more like personalized. And that's. That's almost certainly not what they thought going into the first game. I mean, there's no way to prove that. No but like, that. well, there's, but but it makes total sense because I feel like, especially with games, both the people who play them, but also the people who make them, seem to think of them in an iterative idea of of sequels, especially being iterative, but also things within genre being iterative. So like, you see things where like. In this game, you could blow someone's head off. In this one, you can actually see their jawbone come up, like that level of thing. And being, right. Then when you get down to a thing where it's like we mocapped a little girl dying and crying that you've shot, I feel like a basic reason for constructing or making anything or even thinking about what it means might get lost in that iterative thing of like we have the technology to do this. Yeah. It's It's funny because, you know, I was a kid in the 90s during the moral panic of like uh, kids are playing Mortal Kombat and seeing blood. This will make violence happen. And in retrospect, those games were just cartoony nonsense. But like I've lived long enough to see hyper realistic games to me now that viscerally you see murders happening. And it's like even me who was just kind of like that shit. What? Fuck censorship. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't know, man. Like years ago, I was watching somebody playing a Mortal Kombat that would cut away to almost like realistic bones break. Oh, yeah. That's the most recent one. That's uh, Mortal Kombat, whatever. Um, <laughs> the one that came out recently, 11. 
left. Yeah. So if I, you punch them, you, their bones snap and break. Like you're playing uh, that that sniper game. Sniper game. Yeah. I was watching somebody playing that, but also the characters were really sexy women, and I was just kind of like, inadvertently, I don't think they were setting out to make a kind of like snuff or murder porn, but it really just had this feeling of like two sort of like purient interests smashed together mm. in a hyper-realistic way was just kind of being, making me being like, ah, oh, god damn. I don't like this. Yeah. And like, but yeah, I, but that thing about the feedback loop of, of, of sequels to things, I think there's probably also like a Keynesian beauty pageant game that the, that the person making the thing is playing that they're trying if they're thinking of like what fan trends will be and mm-hmm. trying to think up what reaction will be before they make it, that probably also leads to a million weirdo decisions that end up us having these sort of macro culture products that have super confused politics and very bizarre stories. In yeah. It. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like even on like a basic level, like uh, reading about Final Fantasy 14, which like 14 is is like at this point, probably my favorite Final Fantasy. I think it's great. And like, I, I think from a storytelling perspective, it's great. It's an MMO, so not everyone's going to like it. But like, but like, uh, it's like the only MMO I've really put any time into at all. And like the, the first version of it was so bad that they like basically were like, we're sorry. The, the, oh yeah. They start, they started from scratch. Yeah. The president of square actually apologized at, or like the CEO or president apologized and said he was sorry that, the game had uh, forever tarnished the legacy of Final Fantasy. Like it was, it was some real fall on your sword stuff. But like, um, one of the things that the um, uh, Yoshida, the um, um, new director who is still on it, um, it, one of the things he said, like they were like, "Well, what are you gonna like? How are you gonna make a new game? Like, what are you what are you planning on doing?" And he was like, "Well, first off, I'm gonna have." Uh, my team play like a ton of World of Warcraft so they know what an MMO is. And like, I feel like that's kind of like a funny telling moment where it's like, definitely the team who made 1.0 and like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't play 1.0. Like I, I, I I don't know. Like I, I can't speak to it. I'm sure there was like good parts and bad parts and I'm sure they tried really hard. Like it's a, it's a thankless job to make a game that no one likes. But like, but like, you know, like, there is a way, especially in the higher ups, right, where you're thinking about design on a macro level that you're just like, ah, oh, sweet, a Final Fantasy MMO that's going to make so much money. People are going to love this. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Just make an MMO and make it about Final Fantasy already. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that just as an idea sounds like it's a sold thing. Already. Yeah, it sounds, like a, it sounds like an immediate winner. You're like, it doesn't matter what it's about. It doesn't matter how it plays. It matters that it's a Final Fantasy MMO. And like... And like the the idea that like no 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 like no, no. what you have to go and do is figure out how a game works, a game works. is <laughs> is like it, it's such a good like it's such a good moment of like coming back to the idea that like yeah this is a genre and you have to know how to write it <laughs> like you have to know how to program it you have to make the game that people want to play, and like I, I feel like that's that's the thing that ends up happening in the good version of these stories where like someone steps in and is like okay look like. This didn't work because we've just been trying to make a bunch of money off of it. Let's try and make a game. Um, but the yeah, that that's that's actually a happy ending. The fact yeah. that they were like, let's make a game that's fun to play. Yeah, no, for sure. Like it is, it is, it is unprecedented, but it is a happy ending. And like 
But I, I mean, just to jump back one topic, yeah. though, the weirdest yeah. thing about when people talk about a series or talk about a genre or something, they end up talking about a kind of essentialized version of it that, you know, if we're honest about what we like about different things, we all like different parts of it. But it's weird when you feel a company or a studio or something be like, and here it is, the thing you always wanted, the essentialized version of it with all the things you wanted. And may, I'm not saying this just as a contrarian, but that's usually when they lose me. Because I can understand that. If I liked the series, it was usually because there was something new in it. Like, it's weird to me that, you know, I, you know, this is a stupid example, but the, the Mario games... Until I guess Odyssey, which I I've only ever played at a friend's house, but I, it's a lovely game. It's it's yeah, it it's, recaptured the magic for me in a way that I did not think was, I would be. They were willing to get weird and show you things that were like things you weren't comfortable with. And I never owned a Wii or anything, but my friends did. And I would go and play the new Mario games, and it just felt like clip art of a Mario game spit out by a machine. <laughs> it was. It was like it was like well, what are the new power ups in this? It was like I don't know, like you get a propeller on your hat or something. Whereas like maybe because I played them the first few when I was a kid, and just the technological jumps between them was worlds apart. You kind of didn't really know what the fuck you were getting with a Mario game or like a or a Zelda game either. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was so different, right? So different, right? It's weird when it's kind of like here's that thing you always wanted, just like how you like it. It's just kind of being like. I would prefer you guys go nuts and do whatever the fuck you want. You know what I mean? It is funny, though, because, like, honestly, one of the things that that ends up happening with Final Fantasy in particular is that, like, every time they try something weird, there's just this huge backlash. Like, every time they do a new a next-gen thing where they're like, oh, the PS3 uh, PS, uh, uh, is coming out. Let's do something crazy. And they do... Um, they do like lightning the final fantasy 13 the lightning game right oh yeah, yeah. which was very linear yeah. and sort of like on rails for a little bit and there people were like this isn't good this isn't what i like i hate this I hate <laughs> like it's, or like you know they'll do final fantasy 11 and they'll be like this is bad this isn't good like this is a an unpolished mmo and i hate it and then they'll put out final fantasy 12 and it is a normal final fantasy and all of a sudden famitsu's like this is a perfect game. One of the six we've ever played. It's, it's, that, that's so weird. So weird. That makes me sad though. Cause it's like, you know, during quarantine, I also tried to play the final fantasy seven remake. Mm-hmm. And I think that remake is based on a belief that we all have a shared idea of what the essence of, Final Fantasy VII was that we all kind of share or whatever, whereas the idea of just playing a remake of a thing as like an action game that is hyper-realistic and repetitive and plays like Dynasty Warriors, but also it it is basically a movie at the same time. Like, I don't really understand who that's for. Maybe there are people who have been writing fan fiction about Final Fantasy VII for, you know, like 20 years, but I, I, I just kept looking at it and going like i wish they made a a weird new game (laughs) yeah no i think like the the thing i I haven't played it yet but the thing i do like about final fantasy 7 remake um and the way they did it was that they just like they just like like, um 
I don't know, they went for these like weird secondary and tertiary characters and they were like, Did you guys want to learn more about Heidegger? Well, too bad. You're gonna you're going to. <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna expand a bunch on these minor characters that probably don't mean anything to you. But at the same point, yeah, like it's also funny because though that seems to be the way of like I don't know, didn't did Peter Jackson made a, a like a twelve hour version of the Hobbit. Yes. And yes. to do that they had to Really flesh. They really stretched it, yeah. Flesh it out is a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's like, it seemed like the same thing. And I, I actually, you know, it's been quarantined, so, and I paid 50 bucks for it. So I, I played yeah, sizable amount of, of the remake. And to be honest, I, I this is generational and based on who I am. I, I don't need to play an interactive movie. And in fact, an interactive movie with people talking every second. Oh, it's miserable, yeah. Is miserable, and luckily with Final Fantasy VII remake, you can put the you can put the dialogue into Japanese, so it is just embarrassing instead of making you want to kill yourself, which is how it feels in English. I, I but you didn't get to hear Reno say, "Ha, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I think I fought Reno, but I don't know. Yeah, at some point, at some point, Reno uh, says like, uh, "I guess he's going up." It's in the English dub, but like he's going up into a helicopter or something like that, and he says, "So long, bitch." (laughs) Very good. Just feels so. That just feels so '90s, and also just the fact of seeing like no no more uh, character designs and like weird uncanny valley 3D. I don't know. It, It it it. we don't have to get into the whole discourse about remakes in general, but it, it just feels like watching a thing like this and being like a lot of time and energy went into this. This is only a mercenary decision to choose the most popular game ever. It's like, have you seen the footage of what that Lion King CGI movie looks like? I've seen, I, I've seen some of it. My, I mean, I have a, I have a, a kid, so we, I, I was just surprised. I've seen I've seen the live Aladdin movie. Like this is ooh, that looks terrible. This is where I'm at right now. But the the Lion King one, they used a lot of money and technology to make really photorealistic looking animals. But by making them look really photorealistic, there's weird that in the original animation, the animals were dancing and moving all over the place, and their movements were expressive while also looking like real animals. By making it photorealistic animals that just stand there awkwardly it kind of defeats the purpose and also it's an animation of an existing animation yeah yeah (laughs) like everything about that and you know that movie probably made billions of billions of dollars when it came out nobody will ever talk about it again i feel sad that that we've gotten to a place where final fantasy is also just Mm. you know (laughs) yeah no i I honestly like for me and i i'll i'll cut it at this because i'm i'm i'll cut my final fantasy discourse at this because i'm starting to get tired um but uh um not tired of talking but uh, physically tired uh (laughs) never tired of talking to you deegan it is a pleasure every time yeah, no, 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 no offense. I know it's it's twelve, it's twelve. Uh, no, no, yeah, but I just wanted to be clear. It is not tired of be not tired of talking. It's my uh, my physical tiredness because I wake up at because like five eleven every day and then go back to sleep until six forty five. Yeah, it's good good schedule. Um, but the uh, you know like the the thing that I I like the the way I I understand Final Fantasy to have to have sort of like finished up is that like. In my mind, in my mind there's, this, there's this there's this storyline in um 
Final Fantasy fourteen that I won't spoil for anyone, but like it's called Shadowbringers and like the despite the terrible title, um the uh the content is really cool. Um and like very much about like questioning the 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 essential point of Final Fantasy games, which is kill everything on the map ultimately assert your dominance over it and then you've saved the world like it, it is very much a game about like well so like what if you undid all that um and it's cool it's like it's really smart it probably wouldn't be a fun game for you to play specifically deegan because there's a lot of uh parts where people are standing around and talking um <laughs> no i don't get me wrong i'm fine with oh okay it. the thing oh. about final fantasy 14 i hear all the time is people are like it gets really good but you have to put 600 hours it's a shame yeah 2.0 is an improvement over 1.0 but boy they still had a ways to go um but the thing is that that's really the the thing that's tough to to get into but yeah i think like i think the i think the the main thing about about shadowbringers that i like is that it kind of like closes the thematic loop in Final Fantasy. And then afterwards you get 15, which is just like, it's a road trip, guys. Like, yeah, there's plot going on, but we're just all driving around in our car. And then seven, which is like, hey, we're remaking the old thing. It's kind of the same thing, but like revisiting it. And it's there's nothing new or repetitive. It's also funny, though, because I really love Nine. Which mm-hmm. Nine is kind of a love letter to the early yep. series. It has yep. pacing problems. It's got a whole lot of problems. The The first front of it is so much more magical and interesting. But by the end of Nine, they also introduce all of the major antagonists from the first Final Fantasy. And it seemed like it kind of had, like, it felt final in yeah. a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. And, like, but, the I, I think, like... I think yeah, I mean, nine. I learned in my research that nine was. I, I should say, I learned in my research of other people's research. I didn't. I didn't do original research on this. I shouldn't. Be, I should be completely honest. This is analytical stuff. This is just what I'm good at. Um, but the um, that nine and eight were actually developed at the same time. I didn't realize that. Um, oh wow! Really? Yeah, which is interesting because I mean they came out at such different times. I, I know that. I know, and also they feel so. Right, they, but like literally, they had like two parts of Square working on both games, and it really feels like they were hedging their bets. Um, but I won't say between what because I don't, I don't want to give away the whole chapter. I'll send you the chapter if you want to read it. Don't you know? Feel free. But I, I, I didn't mean to put you on the. Sp- no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm glad you did because I never talk about my own stuff. I'm a weekly listener to this, and you go like, "Oh, well, I talk about this too much." But I wrote a chapter on blah blah blah, and I'm like, "He's never said what the." <laughs> Thank you for putting me on the spot and saying it, because like honestly, given given my own uh, given my own druthers, I will I will just never say anything. Um, I know it was just funny because because you, you always had the sort of apology of like I know you're tired of hearing about this and being like, did I miss an episode? Was <laughs> that was just about this the whole time. <laughs> um, well, uh, tell me about tell tell us about your uh, tell us tell us one uh, uh, really like your favorite. Now your favorite. That's that's. I, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you that because um, I would be furious if someone asked me. Uh, one of the things you like the most about about the the new book, like one of the things that you think is, yeah, your new book. Yeah, your new book. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> All of my projects are so hard to to explain. True. Exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah. it's it's you know I I hope people will enjoy the feeling of kind of mystery and also that you can jump into it and literally try to 
figure out what it is while looking at it. Not that it's a solvable mystery or anything, but just how open it is. I mean, it's basically like a fake comic from a possible time that's not now in a genre that may or may not even exist. Hmm. So, you know, hopefully reading that will be fun and interesting. And also I am actually currently making one of them. <laughs> you got, you got so into it that you had to make it real. And it's also funny because, uh, you know, I've talked about this on the past, but most of my comics have had no words in them. This one has words right. in it, which is right. kind of a new thing to me. Oh, and also, if your listeners are interested, I have a book called Soft X-Ray Mind Hunters, which is a... Yeah, go get Soft X-Ray Mind Hunters. It's, it's a sci-fi epic. It's 400 pages, and it's also no words. And uh, that's available now. But yeah, I'm working on... So I made this abstract thing that was about sort of reading the feeling of an idea of a library of a non-existent comic book series. <laughs> and I got a review that was like, this structure is really interesting. I mean, if he, it, it's besides the point that he never even has to make one of these books now. And I just looked at it and I was like, well, I, I am. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> just like just like throwing it all in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I couldn't because like three years worth of work. But like, I like – I. Also, I think what you should do, I as 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 your manager, um, I think what you should do <laughs> is uh, we should renegotiate my cut, and then also um, you should you should lean into that Borges thing. But I think that that is a helpful way of talking about it. The idea of like oh, a thing that never existed. I mean, but I, I feel like because you know being a kid and even part of advertising for the things you like, like even if you bought one comic book, there'd be a reference to a whole world yeah. of other comic books yeah. and the odds that you would ever see any of them was so low. Was so low. Was so low. I mean, the same thing was true of like when video game magazines used to exist. I used to look at video game magazines, just be like, Oh, that looks cool. Imagine what that would be. <laughs> that like pre pre YouTube, you couldn't even see most of those games in motion. Right. Like, right. so I think the feeling of, of filling in work. I, 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 you know, we, we talked about this last time, but I feel like I want to make work that involves the reader and the viewer as much in generating what it is as, as it involves me. And I, I don't mean that in a cop-out way that I'm just like, Hey, fucking figure it. <laughs> like, I, I definitely know what it means and what I want it to mean, but I want to engage that people have both the discovery and sort of the interpretation of it. So, you know, I did that, you know, in a giant book that has no words in it, but I also, by showing this sort of, uh, library of, of covers and back covers to a series, you can kind of chart an arc, but also they might all be separate. You know, you kind of get a whole feeling for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the aim is. And because that aim is so weird, it took like two or three years to find a publisher who wanted to publish it. <laughs> no, it's because they, no, they have no vision, they have no these vision. people. Yeah, which is, you know, if you say that to a publisher, you can't, you can't like, neg them into, uh, into publishing. Yeah, they don't like that. They, it's, they're, they're mostly worried about losing their shirt on, on a deal. Uh, and they don't care about, about if you think they're cool. <laughs> it, it turns out. The, the, the publisher I found is actually really cool. So well, it's good news. They don't care about that, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, yeah, no. Yeah. So 
also, I guess I'd say follow me on Twitter because I can't tour with that book. I've been making posters of it and putting up posters every two days that I'm nearing the end of it. Actually, they should follow you at the Twitter that is the uh, the fan Twitter someone made for you uh, that, that is inspired. Uh, it, is a, it is an Alex Deacon-like bot, incredibly lifelike and true. It's an Alex Deegan type beat. Uh, <laughs> it's God, and it's it's a terrible Twitter too. It's a uh, my at is a to the underscore d, and I think I originally wrote a to the d. <laughs> and then someone had that, had that already. That is terrible already because it looks like a fake word. But now it's at a to the underscore d. A to the un- that's me. a to the underscore d. I mean, it's not me. That's a fan page about. Like, yeah, they, they did a bad job of. Bad job. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you click on the pin tweet, you can also see all the posters I made for the book, which you know is like uh, is almost like new individual pages for the book. I just felt bad that I wasn't going to be touring this summer, which I was supposed to. I mean, I don't think you can feel. I, I I don't think you have anything to feel bad for. No, people in Texas and Arizona really want me to come. <laughs> they're just they're desperate. Dig <laughs> it, come, come. Oh, no. It's fine. Grow with us. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's just becoming a horror movie um, more than usual. Uh, but yeah, no, no, I, I I'm I'm excited to read it. Um, I think I think friend of the um, friend of the podcast Piss Castle, um, Rory. Uh, oh, Rory, yeah. Yeah, um, he's the best. Uh, he's I. That's another person that I feel like I know who I've literally never had a one-on-one conversation <laughs> with, and have just joked with. Like, he's a great R- dude, and his art is awesome too. His comics are hilarious. Rory had. Um, Rory is the the person who uh, has drawn the the only flyer that I've had drawn for the show, and I I want to make a shirt out of it, but I also don't know how shirts work. So someday, but uh, yeah, yeah no. you know. People a lot less smarter than you have figured out shirts, Trevor. I, I haven't, but I, I think you I think they I, I just need to first I need to work out how they go on. Okay. And then from there <laughs> I'm set. <laughs> All right. Well, uh thanks for coming on, Deegan. And and uh as soon as I am able to focus on it, I'm gonna have you on and I'm gonna explain Geist and then I'm gonna ask you uh, to come up with your top three dialectics and uh and to resolve them. <laughs> so also, if you want, I will interview you about your book when your book. Oh, there you go. That's a great idea. Actually, I yeah, Actually, probably, probably probably need to take you up on that because I'm certainly not going to talk about it on the podcast in any sort of length. Yeah. Sort of length. When, when, when is the, when is I don't know when it's actually going to be available to people. It's due um, sometime in October. So, oh, that, you got tons. Of that's the deadline I'm working to. It, the funny thing is, uh, my my agent Eric, who is uh, I have said this on the podcast many times, with just a, a saint in heaven. Um, it's one of the nicest people you'll meet on Twitter at Eric Kane. Um, he uh, like I I must have called him like six times, just freaking out, being like Eric, I can't do this. I can't play all these games. I can't write this book. And he'll be like, Calm down. Uh, most people start panicking two months before the deadline. It is eight months before the deadline, or it is six months before the deadline. It's like he's like, like "You're fine. You're just, fine. Just keep working. You're okay." okay. Yeah. It turns out, turns out, uh, I, I've just made I, 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 I'm panicking, but in all the right ways. It turns right. out. So I'm I'm feeling good about it now, though. Good. Okay, so when it comes out, I'll be the one to. Yeah, you you call dibs because. 
because because you'll probably just be like, my book's out, but you're tired. Of <laughs> yeah, just that's and and it's such a good such a good marketing scheme to say like, uh, I got a book. You, you already know. Don't don't sweat it. Don't. You, I know. I had to. I had to stop literally saying like, ah, you probably wouldn't like it. Yeah, I've Fine. I've done that before with stuff. Like I've I've done that before. Be like, yeah, it's probably not up your alley. It's like it's, you're literally telling someone not to check out the not thing you worked on. I know that's so. Also, if if you if you cut off the conversation, they can't even ask you about it and figure out if they. <laughs> you're already just saying like no, like you. Know. And then you go home. You're like, why isn't this selling? It's so much better. It's yeah. So much better. God. Oh well. <sighs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take it easy. Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.